Hello, everyone, and thanks for coming back to World Forge. World Forge is a podcast by creators and for creators, where we use random prompts to invent just about anything you can imagine. Together, we'll make heroes and villains, ancient monsters and magical cities, and our hope is that we can inspire all the other creators and storytellers out there listening to do the same. So without any further ado, I'm Piper. And I'm Sam. And welcome to World Forge. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of World Forge. How are you doing today, Piper? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Sam? I'm very good. I'm very excited for us to boldly go, I think. We're very few. Perhaps no one even has gone before. Yeah, <laughs> this exactly. Episode this Ooh. week. Hey, you want to elaborate on that uh, spicy little uh, call? Yeah, a little, little teaser <laughs> yeah. here for you. Yeah. What, what are you thinking? This week, I think we're, we're actually going to be talking about uh, settlements and settlers, but specifically, we're putting a little bit of a sci-fi slant on it. So. Yeah. We're going to be developing a, a, a space settlement mm-hmm. uh, on a distant uh, made-up planet that we're going to be creating you know, here live on air as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to be talking about all the different people that would kind of live there, what their jobs are, what it's like mm-hmm. living on the furthest reaches of space. The what, things they encounter, yeah, the conflicts kinda, that they have to deal with. Exactly. What kind of trouble they get up to. Yeah. Um, and I, I think this is going to be really fun. And, you know, we're specifically putting a sci-fi slant on it this week, but I think uh, one of our kind of goals with this is to make sure that we're creating things that are able to be used as sort of a general template, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We just thought it would be fun to talk about sci-fi, but I think it's fairly easy when we talk about something like this to interchange that between different genres or different settings. You know, if if we're talking about enemies as like evil aliens or something that, you know, are roaming the wastelands of this, uh, of this, uh, planet that we're settling on, you can easily exchange that for goblin or dragon. Yeah. Or, you know, or, or what have you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> whatever you want. Um, so yeah. that's something that I think I want all of you, our listeners, to be keeping in mind as we're talking about this. Mm-hmm. And we will be trying to, uh, you know, kind of jump back and forth, I think, and be, okay, well, what if it was in this setting? And, and maybe yeah. put a little bit of context to it like that as well, which I think will be really, really fun. Absolutely. Yeah. When we first came up with this idea, we were saying that we wanted to do settlers and settlements. Um, and then I was like, you know, we haven't done sci-fi for a long time. And sci-fi is my favorite genre. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, we have to do it on a foreign planet because yeah. that would just be so exciting. Yeah. Um, so and- I'm really excited to kind of like build out the scenario around all of this. Yeah. I mean, and last time we created a planet, I think we did one for our aliens episode. We had a, a specific like planet episode. I'm, I'm pretty positive. But yeah. we did that again, I think, for the aliens episode. And it was so much fun. I think there's so many really cool questions you can ask about that type of thing. You know, you have the freedom to do whatever you want. You don't have to follow the same rules of physics that govern well, exactly. you know, the planet that we're on, right? Yeah. Or, or your sci-fi, your, your kind of fantasy planet, which is usually a general kind of stand-in <laughs> for Earth, right? Exactly. So, um, we can say that, you know, we're a magically inclined planet that because of the magic that's inherent in it, it follows totally different rules. You know, gravity might not just be uh, you know, uh, based on like a percentage of what 
in Earth-like gravity would be. It might work totally differently. It might pull you sideways or, you know, something weird like that. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of crazy stuff that we could get into here. Exactly. Yeah. Because when we were saying, too, about designing, you know, people going to a new world for a settlement, it's easy yeah. to kind of just fall into the normal things that we're used to from Earth history of what happens if you keep it in a normal setting. Yeah. And so by introducing some sort of exotic or foreign or sci-fi or fantasy setting, that kind of allows you to say, okay, now I can build off of these historical tropes, but like I can make the terrain 10 times more dangerous. Yeah. The creatures are unknowable and we're going to come up with why they are so hard to deal with. Turn everything up to 11. Exactly. Uh, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Um, I also think that it is a good practice as a DM when you are sending your party to a new, you know, a new town or a new city or a new civilization or something like that um, to assume that all of the things that happen there are just as interesting or just as complex as the stuff that your party's been getting up to, you know? Mm-hmm. It it shouldn't be just a static place that doesn't exist when nobody's looking at it. And I think that's going to be kind of the fun thing about this is we're going to be talking about the relationships and the interactions between all of these people on the, in the settlement, you know? And that naturally will evolve into tasks that an adventuring party could, you know, participate in right but yeah to sort of give the context and the background for all of those you know quests that mm-hmm. you would be completing i think is a really important thing i think that can help give you more space to role play in an interesting way and i think it makes it easier a lot of times to manage the the npcs in this place if you have oh, yeah. a little bit of an idea of what their day-to-day lives are like or what their motivations are for doing what they do definitely um, and and i think it's also a very easy thing to forget so mm-hmm. i i kind of want to encourage all of you listening again to sort of keep that in mind as you're building stuff for you know whatever your next D session is think about what happens when your party isn't in town because that's yeah. not something we always think about also it's something that i've talked about a bit before but i like the idea of if you put a lot of effort into building a place that you actually spend more than just one session there. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really easy to fall into the pattern in role play games like this to be like, well, we just got to keep moving. We have to keep going someplace new. So you keep recycling old stuff and you don't stay someplace long. I think, especially if you're saying, okay, we're on this foreign planet, for example, you're stuck here. You can't yeah. really go elsewhere. I mean, you can explore the entire world, potentially, yes. But if this is kind of your, your settlement and your fort that you've built up in this foreign land, you typically stay there for safety, yeah. venturing out only now and then when you have to or when you know, you're know you prepared for it. But I think that's a fun exercise as well, is to say, no, we're going to be here for a while. That's yeah. why we're going to develop these roles and these relationships. Absolutely. And I think if you think of that you know, in relative terms, right, uh, you can have sort of a bottle session where instead of being stuck in one room or in one town, you're stuck on one planet, right? Yeah. That's a really interesting conflict. If it's a world, if it's a universe where it's very easy because of, you know, technological advancements or magical advancements to jump from planet to planet, what happens when suddenly you don't have that ability anymore, mm-hmm. you know? You can explore this entire place, but, you know, you're you're trapped just as much as you would be trapped in you know, on an island. Yeah, on an island yeah. or something like that. Exactly. So kind of mechanically and fundamentally, it's really the same thing. And I think that's a cool way to look at it. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's something that we could maybe decide, um, you know, for our planet, we could say we, we talked about this, if it should be something where they crash land on a planet or if they intentionally, you know, landed here to try and start a colony mm-hmm. or if they were, you know, stopping for some reason and there was a malfunction with the ship and, you know, who, who knows? There's any number of reasons that it could be. But I think... 
contriving a situation where they're trapped Mm -hmm. here is a really interesting starting point. So what I am leaning towards with that, I like the idea that they have previously sold out this planet that they've determined, okay, the atmosphere is livable. So that makes a good place. It has, you know, some of the basics that we need. Um, So I like the idea that they intentionally went to this place. But I also like the idea that what maybe kind of traps them there is a sort of willing entrapment because i think i like the idea that they have the technology to get these people there yeah but it's not like you can you know go into hyperdrive and zoom off to another planet they're going to drop you off and then they're going to head out and head back to earth (laughs) or wherever your home base is and you have to wait for that ship to come and it's going to be another seven years for sure something like that because you know they have all of these resources to build these things but the resources are not infinite you know They, they can only send you off with enough stuff to kind of get by there. They can't send you off with stuff to get by there and stuff to escape. Right. Yeah. So I think that's one thing that everyone who goes on this mission to this colony has to agree upon. They're saying, okay, when you go, you're going to be there for at least seven years. Yeah. Actually, it's going to be like seven years there and then seven years back again. Yeah. For the journey of, of the ships who are going to go. That's a good point. So yeah, for, you're really, yeah. Really so down, it's a yeah. big commitment, yeah. and which I think is really exciting because um, I'm actually going to draw on one of my first examples that I have yeah. of inspiration. Um, and that is, I talked about this a little bit, but there's this wonderful show that National Geographic put together. It's yeah. called Barkskins. Uh, and it was really, really good. It was about the French settlers uh, in the New World and them dealing with all of the things that come with, you know, trying to coexist with the native population and dealing with you know, there are there are turmoils between the English people there and the French people there. And, you know, people are betraying one another. And one thing that was talked about a lot in the early part of the show is the idea of the new world as a place to start over, right? You yeah. could come from nothing and go here and suddenly you could have land and respect and things like that. And so there are different reasons that each character has different motivations for why they've taken this very perilous and dangerous journey because they're all trying there's all something that they want for some it's you know oh i was low born and if i go here i can make something of myself for some they send a whole lot of prisoners and like uh indentured servants over and they're like you work the land here for a while you get your freedom instead of being locked up in a prison for the rest of your life back home yeah all kinds of stuff like that and and I i think that's a really interesting thing to consider as well is what sort Sort of, you know, quote unquote class of people are mm-hmm. being sent on this mission. You know, are they people who are all, you know, they're scientists and researchers and, you know, people who want to advance their, the knowledge of their civilization? Or is it a group of people that were kind of like, well, this is my only really option. You know, I, I didn't have any money. I didn't have any prospects back home on earth. So I enlisted in this because it was just all that I had. And my background is that I was maybe a criminal or, you know, yeah. or I was homeless or, you know, something like that. I think that's really cool. I think it would be interesting to see sort of a mix of that. Definitely. Um, I agree. In, in our colony. I think that would be really, really neat. Yeah. I also think it's interesting to see because of those sort of dynamic differences between you know between the individuals that are a part of this colony Mm -hmm. the things that can go wrong there um i think those are probably the most interesting things that we can discover here and what i wanted to talk about a great example of that specifically in a sci-fi setting or a a vaguely generally sci-fi setting that's like (laughs) close to our own world is the martian um with with matt damon and the novel that it's based on of course where uh you know a group of uh astronauts they Mm -hmm. land on mars and then there is this like dust storm. They have to leave. And then one guy gets left behind and he has to survive on Mars just with all of the stuff that he has. Yeah. You know, like what would happen if something like that 
came about on this planet, right? Mm-hmm. How would the people get by if suddenly, you know, they lost contact with their home world and they weren't able to get, you know, information from, you know, maybe they have satellites that tell them when storms are coming or when, you know, another like civilization is going to come and land and they have to go and fight them off or something. I think that would be really, really cool to yeah. see that isolation sort of grow. Um, and I also think it would be kind of neat to look at, you know, we talked about, they're trapped here, right? They can't leave. Maybe a reason for that is because when they land, they have to take the the shuttle that they landed in and, you know, repurpose it. They have to rebuild it into things that they can use there. They have to say, okay, we're taking the, you know, the life support systems there and we're putting that in our med bay so that we have oxygen in our med bay. We're, I like that a you lot. Know, we're taking the engine and we're using it to, you know, generate power for the, the city that we're starting, right? So what this makes me think of, I like the idea that wherever they come from, this is sort of something, this, so this is definitely built into the plan of sending people out. It's almost like when yeah. you land, your ship has a little Ikea how-to guide <laughs> that says, okay, yeah. this is exactly how you're going to take your ship apart and yeah. use it to build your settlement. It's Absolutely. like a kit, like a... We're going to send you off to planets that we've identified as being livable. Yeah. And then you go out there and then you do your thing. And if you, you know, make it work, then we will, you know, you message us and we send you like a bunch of money or something yeah. like that. Like <laughs> you win the prize. Exactly. Yeah. Like you it's get just a reality TV show, basically, that they're. <laughs> yeah. Right. But no, I like that idea a lot that like this is something that this yeah. wherever they come from, they have done this a lot and they're actively yeah. sending lots of different colony colonists out to colonize for them yeah. on their behalf. I also think it's kind of an interesting thing to consider that if they ever did need to leave the planet in an emergency in like a dire dire emergency uh they could potentially do it but it would mean completely destroying everything that they've built here you know they're essentially like hitting the reset switch reassembling their ship and then everything that was you know that was left behind there everything that they had created using those repurposed parts Mm -hmm. all their crops all their you know all that stuff would just have to die It, it wouldn't be able to be taken with them and they would have a finite amount of time to do this you know if they start taking vital components out of their you know the buildings where they live in if they take their air recycler or something like that to give them oxygen Mm -hmm. out of their their dormitory where they all live they can't be in there anymore obviously you know they only have a a short window of time where they can actually rebuild their their ship and, and get off the planet Absolutely. And as soon as we're talking about this, my mind instantly goes to, you know, someone in this group has to have, be like sneaky. And yeah. Someone has a escape shuttle with them oh, totally. or they, they've hidden it on the ship somewhere. They smuggled an escape shuttle. <laughs> well, like it's a big ship to like get you to this planet. So like they could disguise yeah. it as something else. Like say, you know, it's in a giant crate and someone's like, what's that? And it's like, oh, it's a, it's a plow. It's for the farm fields that we're going to have someday. You know, and what, then it, you you know what it should be. Open up the box and it's actually this escape ship yeah. that this person can have to get away if they need to. You know what it should be? It should be a coffin. The the like guy who runs the morgue or the mortuary or whatever, he has all these, you know, coffins that he's like, okay, when we die, we, you know, we send, we put these people in these coffins and then we bury them in the ground, like the same as we would do on Earth or back mm-hmm. on our home planet or whatever. Uh, but in actuality, you can go in there when you're alive and it's got a little jetpack on it and you can fly up into space, right? It's like a, a little makeshift escape pod because what, you know, what other thing would you have that a person could kind of fit into that wouldn't obviously be an escape pod like that? I think that would be kind of a clever disguise for that type of thing. That is very interesting. My only thought with that is, is that an escape pod, you're talking about something very, very tiny, which I don't think someone could travel long distances across space in. So what would be the point of blasting off into space if you're just going to die up in space and sit down on the planet? That's the thing. You know, I mean, I I, I think traditionally when I think of an escape pod, in a sci-fi property, I don't think of it as something that can travel across vast distances. I think it's something that it's a lifeboat. Mm-hmm. You get into it so that you can get out of trouble, you know, it's sort yeah. of an out of the frying pan into the fire kind of situation, mm-hmm. you know. 
when the Titanic sank, nobody thought they were going to row their lifeboats back to, you know, England or whatever, right? right? Yeah. They were like, well, it just keeps us out of the water. Yeah. I think that's kind of the purpose that I that I imagine cool. for these is it just it's it's a last ditch sort of emergency secret effort. That'd and I think neat. that would be an interesting character to have as the sneaky guy is the mortician or the mortuary or, or, or you know, the funeralist. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever. The person in charge of all the dead. <laughs> yeah. kind. Of, I mean, kind of like in um, Hell on Wheels, one of your favorite shows. Yes, I love that show. The Swede. Uh, he kind of yeah. He kind of rises and falls throughout the show, but his journey is very yeah, fascinating. He sort of settles for a while as the you know the grave digger essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and he's always kind of wheeling and dealing and doing secret you know uh, I don't know like betrayals and stuff behind the scenes. He's always trying to get back on top, and mm-hmm. it never really totally perfectly works out for him i like it i like that a lot um i imagine that when they get to this planet when they finally land uh this character they instantly have to go to work because several people have died on the journey out there and so he's like i instantly have to start digging graves and prepping the bodies and everything it's a tough journey what are you gonna do you know people are gonna die stupid old ladies and old men kept taking like oh go and like you'll die before you get there old (laughs) man it's like a seven-year journey (laughs) and they're like no i'm fine (laughs) it's like all right well i guess we're gonna just bury you on a foreign planet and they're like score they needed to bring the best old gold prospector in all of the land so they could find valuable uh rare minerals (laughs) (laughs) So um, your example of the Martian, it actually when you're talking about, you know, that isolation in this foreign world, it made me think of actually that relates really well to one of my other examples here. I wrote down The Revenant. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Which do you have that on (laughs) your list too? That was my next one. I debated whether I should talk about The Revenant or The Martian first. And I thought The Martian kind of fit well after what you had just said. So yeah. 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 Go on with the Revenant. <laughs> well, those guys, even though they weren't necessarily settlers, they are like fur trappers, um, which is kind of another way that we started initially brainstorming yeah. this topic. Um, here we have these people who are, you know, they are being chased out by the the natives who are rightfully very upset with them being there. They're looking for the chief is looking for the his daughter, for his daughter who is kidnapped by the French. Yes. I believe, yes. In that movie, if I recall. Exactly. And it kind of that first initial attack is what, you know, separates uh, our team and, and yeah. it causes everything to go like fall apart um but yeah i was thinking about the exact same thing of just how this person survives in this for him i guess the land is more familiar because he lived with a tribe for a long time yeah um but still i think it's a very exciting wilderness yeah. survival story and i think that might be a cool thing to focus on as well is everybody survives and thrives when they're together right mm-hmm. but what happens when you know they go out for a you know, a supply run to go and grab, you know, gather some resource that's, uh, you know, a couple of weeks travel away, right? Mm-hmm. And as they're leaving, something happens that, you know, causes them to become separated from one member of their party. And that one member of the party mm-hmm. is, you know, presumed dead or missing or something like that and gets left behind and now has to find a way to survive and get back to the safety of the colony yeah. all on their own. Yeah. I think that would be really interesting. Um, I think so too. I think The Revenant is a perfect source of inspiration for that. I mean, uh, you know, based on a real person, based on Hugh Glass, a guy who actually was left for dead by his people. <laughs> not George uh, Glass. Not George Glass. No, not George <laughs> Glass. Uh, he was actually left for dead by his, you know, his his fur trapper voyageur uh, friends, basically. And ended up going like 500 miles or something like that by himself. And the he movie survived a bear attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He survived a bear attack. He traveled across uh, North Dakota, I think it was, um, and ended up getting back to you know back to his fort. The movie 
sort of adds in a lot of other stuff that really Drama wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had he had no like ties like that to the native tribes as far as I'm aware. And I don't think he had a son that was involved at all. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have this rivalry with yeah. the guy who kind of left him behind. In fact, actually, I think I think I read once he when he got back, he like met up with his friends and he was like, no, you did the right thing. You should have left me behind because you all could have died if you had stayed. He He had like no ill will towards them whatsoever, mm-hmm. which I think is really interesting that you know, they just left him out for dead in the middle of the woods after a bear attack. And he was like, nah, you're cool. That I would have done the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, I've got, so I've got one more example. Do yeah. you have what, do you have something else you want uh, to share? Yeah. Well, so the Revenant was, was kind of my next one, just talking about how hard it can be to survive out there and mm-hmm. what it's like being singled out, you know, yeah. isolated within your isolation already. Right. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about, uh, this game that I really love actually on, uh, on, that I got on Steam a few years ago called Banished. And it is a, sort of a colony management simulation oh. and it's very relaxed and chill it's i i wouldn't say it's like easy but it's pretty approachable uh and it, it's a great casual game and essentially what you do is you start as this group of like i think you start with like 10 settlers or something like that and you just build up a town and there's no real end game to it you mm-hmm. just want to see how long the town can survive and thrive and um you know in this in this sort of management of it, you're looking for different types of seeds so you can diversify your crop yields and you're trading with traders that come through to get, you know, new types of trees and new types of fruit and, you know, new resources and things like that. And a lot of the, we talked about this a few weeks ago, talking about sort of the minutiae and the things that go on in a town. Yes. That it's important to think about those things. And yeah. this is another really, really great source of that, you know, mm-hmm. you, you have to say, well, my people need tools so that they can more effectively mine for resources or plow the fields or build buildings. And so you have to build a, you know, a blacksmith so they can make these tools. And if you want to have your farms produce the most, you have to build, uh, you know, like a little, a little barn to have mm-hmm. your farmers work in and to store your stuff, you know, granaries and things like that. Um, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in there that could very easily be applied to a sci-fi setting because it sort of gives you all of the necessities. It says, here's all the stuff that these people need to survive. Now, instead of granary, you would say it's a space silo. And instead of a blacksmith, you would say it's like a nanosynthesizer or something. You know, I I think just translating all of these things into a sci-fi setting can be much, much easier when you have a template like this to look at. Definitely. Um, And if you're also looking for a really relaxing sort of management game, it's, I find it to be very relaxing. <laughs> nice. I, I think it's a really chill game and it's not the kind of thing where you're always rushing to put out fires like some other management simulations. Yeah. So yeah, it fills a nice little void there. That sounds like fun. And I, even though I do think that the story that we are about to weave will lean into drama and conflict, yeah. I also like the idea of, you know, well, wouldn't it be nice if this everything just went great. You know, you just you found this habitable right. planet and you set up a colony there and you're like, actually, this is fabulous. You know, everyone has what they need. Everyone can make a new life for themselves. You know, sometimes people get sick and die, but that happens and we're overall pretty doing all right. I feel like after we develop all of these these characters, it'll be easy enough for us to explore that as an alternative by simply saying, and then they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> and then we can go on and say, in the alternate universe. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, Everyone I mean, got their faces bit yeah, off by ex- flying <laughs> cowbats. <laughs> flying cowbats, yeah, yeah, exactly. Space cowbats. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing about it, though, is that if everything went well, there wouldn't be a story. Exactly, you know? yes. So you, you have to embrace these these failures and these mistakes and these, you know, catastrophes. I, I think that's... 
obviously really important. I have to share a quote now, just real quick, um, from one of my favorites, uh, the 2003 live action remake of the Peter Pan. There is this great scene <laughs> in the beginning when Peter is, you know, asking the kids to come with him and the parents have this weird feeling. So they rush home from the party and the narrator says, she's like, it would be wonderful to say that the parents reached the nursery on time, but then we'd have no story. And then suddenly they're all flying across the sky and it's like, yay, yeah. it's starting. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Except instead of flying to Never Never Land, we're flying to, I don't know. Super Mars or something. Super Mars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've what's got, your last yeah, example? <laughs> my last yeah. example, I'm pulling from uh, my favorite little bag of tricks, and I want to talk about James Cameron's Avatar. Of course you are. Of course <laughs> you are. Because of course. Now, those guys, they mainly go to the planet because they are trying to get the minerals. <laughs> they Unobtainium. Want, unobtainium. The worst part of that movie. No one denies it. <laughs> the, um, the, the dumbest name. It's very stupid. It's, it's so stupid. It's very stupid, but that's okay. We're going to pretend it's not. Um, but so that is like literally they treat this planet as like a big mining operation. Um, but then there are obviously those individuals who go out to Pandora for the sake of like, for example, um, uh, our, our doctor lady who's all about, you know, yeah, Sigourney Weaver. botany and yeah. like learning about these other people that live there and things like that. There are so many scientists who want to go to this place to say, oh, we need to learn about these resources. Yeah. I would love, and I know we're not going to get this in the sequels that are coming out, um, but I would love actually a little bit of history. And actually, you know what? Maybe they will talk about this in the movies. But who first went to Pandora? And they couldn't have gone there looking specifically for minerals, I wouldn't think. I think they would just be like, oh, we're just, you know, exploring new planets. And here is this yeah. one that we found. And someone dug something out of the Earth and they decided this was super valuable. Maybe it, like, takes care of fuel or energy or something. And they're yeah. like, oh, well, that's now what we're going to fund used to like fund traveling out here and everything. I don't even recall. Do they? They don't give a history. What unobtainium is for, though? They're like it, um, it's just like the most uh, the most goodest metal. It <laughs> must be. Metal? Yeah, it it must be a fuel of some kind. Yeah. Um, because he, yeah, he just talks about how much it like costs. He's yeah. like, one little thing of this is worth like a million dollars or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so it, I think it's a fuel source that they can use to like power things. Although honestly, in a distant future. A gram of a mineral being worth a million dollars doesn't even seem that impressive to me. I would think inflation would make like a gram. I would think that like a handful of like corn or something would be worth a million dollars. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, ha having a consumable resource or having food or something like that mm -hmm. would probably be just as valuable as a little dumb little rock. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. It's hard to say. Um, I feel like because a big message, obviously, of those movies is talking about like corporate corruption and yeah. like, you know, taking uh, from the earth for whatever yeah. like evil purpose or it, whatever. It's Fern Gully and... It's, yes, we don't need to make yeah, those comparisons. Yeah, exactly. Everybody no, knows. It's, exactly, it's, exactly. It's so obvious. Yeah. Um, but they have, they do have a settlement there. This like yeah. established safe zone that's like, you know, behind these huge walls protected by the military yeah. and it's mostly, you know, just their big mining operation. But... I, if I'm not mistaken, there will be elements of the sequels that are going to touch on like some of the civilians who live in this place or yeah, like okay. people do have kids and those kids grow up here. That is interesting because it's pretty much not addressed at all in right. the original. They're like everyone here is a military or an industrial like presence basically or they have the no, science like, division but yeah, yeah suppose, it's but, mostly the science division yeah. it seems they only funded that so they could try and deal with like the native population yeah um but yeah so i don't know i just think that's a fun example of another kind of 
people traveling to a foreign world and yeah. how they interacted with it. I like this as an example. And here, so here's the thing about it. I don't feel the same way about Avatar no. as you do, obviously. I don't expect like, most people yeah. to feel the way about um, Avatar that I feel <laughs> as I do for Avatar. Um, I, I'm very – I'm a lot more like down on Avatar just because I do think it's – it's beautiful. Like it is an incredibly beautiful like technological marvel. For the time it came out especially, I think it's unbelievable. And it still holds up pretty well visually. Um, there's definitely – there's definitely stuff in that that I look at it and I'm like, eh, the like movement is a little weird or things like that. But um, I think it worked really, really well. And I think I often deride it because it is so sort of basic in terms of its story. Like it is very derivative of a lot of things that have come before it. You yeah. know, it, we, like you said, we don't really have to – everybody knows it's Dances with Wolves and Fern Gully and all that and stuff, Pocahontas, right? Like yes, in Pocahontas. Obviously. Like it's a story that's been told a million times. But for this purpose, I think that makes it a really good example because mm-hmm. it is a great template for – Telling kind of a you know it it sets the stage for for this adventure you know you well, can sort of say these yeah. are the things that are going on contextually in the background mm-hmm. we can easily understand all that yes. and we need that to be easy to understand exactly so that way we can kind of jump in and play around in this universe and have easy access to cool role playing opportunities and you know and new adventures that we sort of build ourselves that maybe are a little more you know original. 100%. I have said this for so many years. And honestly, whenever somebody's like, oh, it's just Pocahontas or Fern Gully, yeah. it's like, okay, here's the thing. You're, you're like, you like squinted at me when I, I said did, that. Yeah. You were like, no, Sam. Well, no, because like, here's the thing. It's like, yes, it is a tale as old as time. It's a story we've seen uh, forever. But what, what I firmly believe is that James Cameron wanted to explore these, like, this race of people that he created in this world. And he's yeah. like, well, I need to, present this in a format that is like familiar and approachable. Everyone yeah. loves the story of, oh, hooray for nature and gotta beat down the man and all yeah. this other stuff. It's something that's easy to get behind. Yeah. So that way, once you have this approachable story format, he can then say, by the way, these are my 12 foot tall cat people. Um, I hope you like them. And people are like, oh, well, we, it's like Pocahontas and we all like Pocahontas. So sure, we, we like Natiri. Absolutely. Where if he came in with a much more complicated, different plot, people would be like, what is with these weird, like, cat people things is this like a fetish what's happening i even still think that like i that's the thing that always was so crazy to me about avatar is that like i know it was beautiful and i think most people were seeing it just for how much of a spectacle it was right yeah but it's so insane to me that like you know i think of i don't think my mom has ever seen avatar right Mm -hmm. but a lot of like you know, a lot, a lot of people who have the similar, similar kind of tastes and sensibilities as my mom. Yeah. Went and saw this movie multiple times. Yeah. And it, it is kind of a movie about like blue lions in space that like get into, you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not, I think the, the story is very accessible, but a lot of the content in it is very like, out there. Kind of out there. Yeah. yeah, like sci-fi, which I think is interesting. I think it's an interesting marriage of those two things. No, and totally. I absolutely have to give James Cameron credit for just totally going for it. And I, and I also, you know, I'm not going to say that James Cameron is like the modern day Tolkien, right? <laughs> but I do think I have to respect somebody who said, I just wanted to build a world yeah. and build a, you know, an interesting race of aliens and build a language and all the stuff. And then I just needed to find something to stick it in. Like, exactly. I do think that's really cool. And yeah. I, I think that there is it it is not a totally unrealistic comparison to say that he had a sort of a similar trajectory. I think James Cameron wanted to be a Tolkien. Oh, totally. Right? Yeah. Um, and I don't think that he is nearly as successful at that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's an incredible swing and like a 
pretty solid hit. Exactly. In a lot of ways. And I'd actually like to draw a comparison to another movie that it was also a sci-fi and it also introduced a lot of bizarre world building things, but it had a very unique and original concept. It wasn't like a cookie cutter plot. And that's the movie Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Yeah. Because yeah. that was a movie that it was visually spectacular. It was so bizarre and out there. And the person who made it... Luc Besson, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He didn't care about, you know, audience expectations or plots. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to do this weird thing and I'm going to I'm gonna make it exactly how I want to. Luc Besson has never cared about being quote unquote good he's just cared about making whatever he wants and sometimes he makes things that are incredible like yeah. sometimes you get the you get the fifth element or you get leon the professional and other times you get valerian well the thing about valerian yeah. is it it didn't do super well and i think it was too weird for people yeah. if you had done valerian but you gave it more of a basic plot that everyone's familiar with and can get behind yeah. i think a lot more people would go to it and be like oh yeah i, I know this story but now i can appreciate the story with you know uh shape-shifting riri and uh <laughs> yeah. and i'll kinds of other weird stuff that they had in there people who who give pearls back to the earth and they're yeah. they're essentially the navi but they're not they're from the sea and other stuff so i, I think that would be a cool thing for our colony to, I, I do love the idea that it's a city where it, it's sort of like a meeting place for all of these different alien races right they all come there and they all kind of you know get their hands in the mud and they all sort of build this place up together and it's just this like melting pot kind of hodgepodge of it's all new york of, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> it's all of these different cultures and, and, you know, civilization sort of integrating in this really interesting way that mm -hmm. it creates this sort of superculture that yeah. it is an umbrella of all of them. I think that would be a really cool thing to look at for our colony. I think that might be a little, I think that might be expanding our scope a little too much to yeah. say like we're going to invent different alien races for all of these, all of these creatures. I think we should just for the purposes of making this episode not drive us completely insane. Yes. We should just stick with, you know, like our, let's just stick with like our standard like fantasy races. Yeah. Um, Oh, actually, that that's interesting. I was just yeah. gonna say maybe we should just keep it like humans. Just keep it human. Because we don't want any space dwarves or space elves or anything like that. Uh, we could. I don't know. <laughs> I, I as a sci-fi lover and a lover of all things alien, I I hate just being like it's dwarves, but in yeah, space. Okay. Like I want to like think outside the box more if we so, can. <laughs> playing as a human, the ultimate way to think outside the box. Well, no, because like <laughs> if we just say that these are human settlers who are landed here, then we don't have to you know worry about yeah. developing all those other things. We can. It makes it easy easier for anyone who wants to use these to translate them into something else yeah a yeah. human is the most like blank slate exactly it's a little <laughs> it's a colony yeah. made of pieces of white bread yeah 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 exactly yeah exactly. the loaf so. has landed the loaf, the loaf <laughs> has landed i love that oh my god okay that would totally be what they would call their their transport ship the yeah, loaf, the loaf. Yeah, that's really great <laughs> and little slices like, of bread fall out yeah, they would be super aware of it they're like man we got the most boring like milk toast uh crew of explorers available and they were like exactly <laughs> <laughs> says the egg Egg, yes, Captain. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. I, yeah, you're right. I like that. We should just keep our colonists as human only for the purposes of, you know, allowing them to be, Adaptability. you know, yeah. changed or adapted into anything else easily. You exactly. Know, if, if you listeners want to take this colony that we build and say they are space dwarves, or they are space elves, or they're some other random thing that we make up. Yeah. Um, I, I think if we keep these as humans, it makes it easier to do that. So yeah, yeah, fair. We're giving you a gift. This is for you, not for us listeners. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But I, but I do like that idea though of, 
if we if we had more time to do this, if we could make this a five hour episode yeah. and create all these different alien races, we could say, you know, the science officer is one of these and the totally. medical officer is one of these and the the captain was one of these and like that would be really, really cool. That should be a future episode. Like we yeah. should break it up into episodes where like each episode we make a different alien race and then we could go to our, our sci fi New York. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. I would love that sci fi New York. Yeah. Go. Awesome. All right. So anyway, you were saying about Valerian. Oh, uh, I pretty much made my point that okay. it uh, it didn't it wasn't as successful because the guy he went with his own story in his own world and he didn't try and make yeah. it approachable to audiences yeah. and so the fact that James Cameron did do that it made the movie way more successful I think yeah totally. um, but anyway that was just my point having that I was weird eccentrics like Luke Besson is wonderful when it works out for us yeah. but even when he makes bad movies like i love that we live in a world where creators have the freedom to just go and do whatever weird eccentric stuff that they want to do you know yeah. i i talk about this with with boni Vare all the time how like boni Vare's first album uh for emma was this like very kind of classic very approachable folk album that he recorded in you know a cabin in northern wisconsin just by himself and then after that, he was like, I don't want to do anything like this. And his next album, he added a full orchestra. And everyone was like, that's so weird. It's so different. And then his next album was like weird experimental electronica. And he just kind of slid further into that. And I love that he never was really forced by anyone to just keep making the same album over and over again. You get to keep doing something totally different. If you're that talented and you have the ability to do that, I think that's wonderful. I think yeah. that's so, so cool to not really be hamstrung by the expectations of your fan base or of, you know, of the world at large. And, you know, I'm talking about this knowing nothing about what either, you know, Luke Besson or Justin Vernon's personal experiences were creating these <laughs> things. I mean, for all I know, maybe it was very difficult and they did have a lot of pushback. But I just think it's really, really cool that an artist is afforded that liberty to just create whatever they want in whatever way they want. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So that's, um, that's very cool. I actually would sort of an early rec room. I would say if you are a fan of sci-fi and world building, which you're listening to this podcast, so you probably are. Yeah. <laughs> um, you should check out Valerian. Unless uh, because... you're just listening. To, you just hate listening to this podcast. Oh, you just hate listening, listening to us? To it out yeah. of spite. You do it so reason. you can like grind your teeth while you like wash the dishes. You're like, <laughs> oh, these jerks. Yeah. Um, but no, I would actually say uh, your homework assignment, go watch Valerian. There are definitely parts about it that are like plot wise and acting wise. This isn't the best, but it's yeah. visually beautiful. It has yeah. an incredible opening where it plays. Um, what's the David Bowie song? It plays uh, uh, Space Odyssey. Space Odyssey. Yeah. yeah. It plays Space Odyssey while it shows you. Space Oddity. Oddity. How yeah. this station was built and how all these different ships came in and connected together. And throughout the years, you know, humans met all these different alien species and how they built this perfect world. It's a really cool opening. Um, and there's just so many cool visual things that are attached to it. So it's uh, just put it on, do something else while you're watching yeah. <laughs> it. But it's just cool. Put it on mute, basically, and then just look at how beautiful it is. Also, right they now. have this yeah. amazing concept in it. They it, they call it Big Market, where it's like an interdimensional shopping center yeah. where you put on this headset and suddenly you're transported to the largest like shopping network in the entire universe. <laughs> and you like go around, but you can't bring things unless you put them through this like special portal. And they use that idea to do this big like heist. It's really cool. Hooray for commercialism anyway i recommend it for some fun sci-fi ideas <laughs> yeah i i i can't dispute that recommendation for that reason <laughs> um i have two other quick ones that i want to talk about here um cool. that i'll just very quickly uh kind of breeze through pikmin on um, the original one on the gamecube um and the you know the sequels on on the wii u and i think there's one coming out for the switch maybe rumored who knows um about a little guy captain almar he crash lands on a planet and he just has to survive and rebuild his ship, basically, right? Kind of a similar situation, except the colony that he's a part of are these little plant alien creatures that he plants in the ground, and then he picks them up, and he uses them as 
you know, like kind of a labor force <laughs> and also <laughs> as a weapon. Like it's really, it's really, really interesting. Um, I think sort of the, the adventure path of Olimar or, um, you know, Al for the, you know, the other characters in the, in the following games. I think it's an interesting look at what kind of problems you would face from a very like friendly Nintendo perspective, right? Mm -hmm. How do you rebuild your ship? Well, you just got to go run around and collect, you know, bottle caps or whatever. That's the other conceit of this world that's really interesting is that it's, I think the idea is that it's Earth in like a distant future where everyone's died out because all the things you're collecting are like, it's literally like a bottle cap or like a a D-cell battery or something like that. Interesting. And they all have these crazy names. Like, you know, you'll, you'll pick up a battery and it's called like, you know, the, uh, electronic actuation, uh, power (laughs) cell or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's, that's kind of funny. And, uh, yeah, he, he, you know, he uses these Pikmin to, he can throw them at enemies to like bash them or he can, you know, they can command them to carry things for him. Interesting. Uh, and essentially, is he with, a human? What does he look like? He looks like a little human, but I think he's not because okay. they're they're all like miniaturized, yeah. right? Um, he's he's basically functionally a human, mm-hmm. but if you or I were to see him, he'd be like a foot tall. The game was inspired by uh, to give a little bit of backstory in Pikmin that nobody asked for. <laughs> uh, Shigeru Miyamoto wanted to make the game because he just really enjoyed gardening and he wanted to incorporate that into a game somehow. And he thought, what if all the vegetables that I pulled out were like little friends that could help me accomplish tasks? And it's, it's a really, really cool game. Um, I think talking about allocation of labor like that would be a thing you would have to deal with in a colony like this. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's my like tenuous link to Pikmin. Um, The other thing I wanted to talk about just because I can't, you know, I, I went a couple episodes without talking about Tolkien. I talked about it last week and it just talked about felt, it earlier today. I talked about it earlier today. It just, it feels like a breath of fresh air. I have to, I have to let my Tolkien freak, freak flag fly. Uh, so Halith, uh, from the Silmarillion, um, a great example, not only because she is one of the sort of rare examples of a really, really cool female character in Tolkien's universe. In, in general, like, I'm sort of a Tolkien apologist in that way. Um, I agree that he doesn't have a lot of great female characters, but pretty much all the female characters in Tolkien's universe are complete badasses. So, mm-hmm. like, well, he only has a handful of women in his stories. They all are really, really cool. Yeah. And I really, really like all of them. And I, I do think that, like, for the time that he was writing these things, I, I think he can be forgiven in some ways for because he gives so much power to the female characters that he puts in his books, right? Um, and this woman, Halith, she was a leader of this, like, tribe of warriors, basically. And over the course of the events of the Silmarillion, uh, this tribe becomes displaced, and she just, like, leads them around through the woods for a while. And they're all like, yeah, no, she's a badass. Like, nobody questions her leadership. She's just way too awesome. Uh, and I just wanted to talk about them as a as a cool little roving colony that runs around in the woods and they kill orcs and they, they just kind of survive and get by. That's another cool colony, a colony that isn't stationary, yeah. like a nomadic colony like that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. That's my that's my Tolkien <laughs> drop in the bucket here for today. Hey, no worries. If I'm allowed to talk about <laughs> Avatar for a while, you're allowed to talk about Tolkien. Exactly. <laughs> An uh, eye for an eye. Yes, <laughs> as, as it were. <laughs> so I think on that note, we should maybe start jumping into creating our own stuff. Um, yes. And I, I think to give a little bit of an explanation of the format we're going to go with, we, we talked briefly about how we're going to create all of these characters in the colony. And I think we're going to be defining these characters primarily based on their roles within mm-hmm. the colony. And then just giving them a little bit of flavor and fleshing them out a little bit more beyond that. So Piper, do you want to read off the list of roles that we have established here just so that our listeners can be prepared for what's going to be coming? Yes. Okay. So here's just some of the people that you can look forward to us creating a little later <laughs> on. Um, we need a captain or a leader. Yes. Uh, we need science officers. 
weapons officers, medical officers, probably some botanists. Yeah. Ooh, laborers. Maybe they're prisoners. <laughs> engineers. Common civilians. Religious leaders. Zealots? Question mark. Question mark. Yeah. Robots. Uh, xen- xenobiologists. Uh, communication officers. Soldiers. And now grave diggers as yeah. well. You know, it's important that this is a fully functioning colony, right? So we wanted to make sure that we we're kind of touching on all these. So I think we're going to spend, we're going to try and spend a very short amount of time with each of these mm-hmm. and just sort of say, okay, this person is X, Y, and Z. Here's a brief little backstory of them. What are they like? What are they dislike? What are they afraid of? Mm-hmm. And then move on to the next person. And yeah. then we'll kind of wrap that up by maybe each of us picking one and telling a little bit of a story about how they kind of interact, right? Yeah. So we're going to be giving us a big picture view of mm-hmm. this place here. But before we can do that... Exactly. We need to build this planet first. Exactly. We have to talk about where we are. So Piper, we're going to use our patented random prompt technology uh what prompt do you have for us to build out this cool uh exoplanet okay so i already have a a nice little list of really cool prompt words uh, that i gathered and um yeah give us a couple i think that'll that'll i will give a couple i'm gonna start with uh these three because i think they're pretty cool all right so the first three that i have are screeching umbrella and spark Oh, wow. Okay. So with, I have images that are popping into my mind instantly with so these words. <laughs> yeah. So with Umbrella, I like the idea that this place rains a lot. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's very rainy there. Um, And that's just, you know, we can just leave it at that. Well, no, let, you know what? Let's not leave it at that. Let me do you one better here. Yes. I actually think, I think it'd be interesting if not only does it rain here, but because of the, you know, like chemical composition of the atmosphere of this planet or because of, you know, the mineral composition of the soil, like, you know, the water cycle, when the water evaporates, it carries you know chemicals or minerals or trace elements from it um something about the rain should be very dangerous like maybe it is like an acidic rain or something so if you're not under this like dome umbrella that they build then you can't really survive easily or you can't survive for an extended amount of time yeah um i think that would be kind of an interesting thing like i think this planet is like totally hospitable Mm -hmm. but when it does rain you you can't be out in it for a long time. You have to just be careful about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe there are different types of storms that come through. Maybe yeah. there are – maybe it rains sometimes and it's a safe rain, but yeah. maybe every now and then there are acid rains that yeah, come through. Totally. Um, I feel like they, when they arrive at this place, they probably, you know, they orbit the planet for a week or so, just kind of studying and analyzing things, taking, you know, shots of the ground. What are we actually getting into here? Exactly. And they're like, we have to find the perfect place to settle down. Uh, and they determine that the acid rains never cross the mountains. Like, let's say, like, something like that. There's like a mountain range that protects them from the acidic rains. Yeah. And so they decide to make their settlement on the other side of those mountains. I, so I like this because there's an actual, like, real life meteorological phenomenon phenomenon that could kind of be tied into this, right? The idea of a rain shadow. Right. So when you have a mountain – so this is something that's really important actually in a lot of like wine-producing countries. Um, You can grow really good grapes in rain shadows uh, when you are otherwise in a climate that wouldn't necessarily be conducive to rain. So like places like like South Africa where – or, uh, you know, parts of like Australia where – it's kind of dry. It's not always really great to, you know, to grow things. It's not like super fertile soil all the time. But if a mountain range right next to the sea, when the sea air comes and hits the mountain, it rises up and mm-hmm. cools. Yeah. And then that causes condensation. And on the other side of the mountain, it rains and you get what's called a rain shadow, right? Yeah. So maybe that's, maybe that has to do with it is that, um, you know, when these storms hit the mountains, the air cools, the acid in the rain like crystallizes and falls as hail on one side. Mm. And then on the other side, it's just like normal safe rain or something. Cool. Yeah. So it's like acid hail. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. Neat. All right. I'm jotting that down. Cool. <laughs> it, they call it hell hail. 
Oh, dude. Okay. Yeah. We've got acid hail that happens on the other side of this mountain range, but they're on the safe side. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. I like that a lot. And that would be, you kind of have to navigate, like, whenever you're traveling, that would maybe be a thing you're like, the the mountains always have to be on your left. If yeah. you're If you're traveling and there's like, a, if you're on the other side of a mountain, mm-hmm. then you're in danger. You can't stay there long. You yeah. Know? I think that would be, that would be a cool thing. Like, I think there needs to be some sort of like natural savagery basically to oh, this totally. world. It can't be something that's just like super yeah. accessible. Right. So, yeah. No, definitely. I think any random foreign alien planet that you're coming to, so much about it is going to be dangerous and unknown. Yeah. So there's, yeah, yeah, huge risk surrounding that. Another idea that I had with rain, and maybe this is, I think this is too much to add to what we have going right now, but just I'm going to throw it out there for other people building sci-fi worlds. Um, I like the idea of sometimes maybe when it rains, it also rains up. And so I think the way that I would justify that is if you can make up some phony baloney science about how when the clouds (laughs) get full enough, they create their own gravity almost. And so they pull rain back up towards them so you can get caught in a reverse shower. Or, you know, it could even be something to do with like – because the the – condensation happens very, very quickly, but the gravity is like really low. So Mm -hmm. when the groundwater, you know, condenses and flows back up to the sky, instead of as a gas, it does it as a solid. That would be very cool. Yeah, that could be really interesting. Liquid. Um, Which, by the way, I have to share one of my all-time favorite real-life science facts about outer space. Sam, maybe you knew this already, but audience, (laughs) did you know that there is a moon of Jupiter where, because the gravity is different, there are, first of all, there are like methane lakes on this moon that freaking exists also <laughs> it rains there but it like rains in slow motion essentially yeah, like so cool holy crap that's real you guys <laughs> you can tuck yourself in tonight with your little jammies and your little sleeping cap and when you're a little teddy bear and you think to yourself somewhere in our galaxy it's raining in slow motion it, it's like a it's like a noir film all the time oh my god so <laughs> cool moon, it's all there's always like a detective with a little fedora looking out a window at the slow motion rain talking about danes <laughs> or something you know yeah Talking about the dame, what what done him wrong? Stroking his tentacle beard. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, cool. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Do you have thoughts about screeching or spark? So you know, it's funny. My first thought with screeching was also a meteorological thing. I was thinking maybe the winds here are so intense that it's always like howling through the canyons. But I don't want to do. I was thinking of an animal. Yeah, that's the thing is yeah. I don't want to do two weather related things. Yeah. I think we've already kind of established how the weather. I think other than these rainstorms, mm-hmm. it should be fairly mild here. Yeah, it should be in this you know this Goldilocks zone, right? That there isn't Goldilocks really... zone. Well, that's what they call it when when a planet <laughs> is just the exact right distance away from its sun that it could be habitable by. By humans. They right. call it living in the Goldilocks zone, which by I think way, is super cool. By the way, I want to say off, right off the bat, I think this it, – it should have an oxygen atmosphere. Yes, I agree. Because I, I, I don't agree. want everyone to have to be wearing spacesuits all the time when yeah. they go out. I feel like they should be able to – breathe on this planet i agree with that yeah. i agree with that i mean that's the whole reason they chose to colonize this one is because it's exactly earth-like in significant ways like that right you know what maybe one thing we could do actually is we could say that the the atmosphere isn't quite the same oxygen that we're used to breathing it's like maybe a lower oxygen so maybe what people okay. do to live there you'd have to like take these pills every day or something like that like yeah, you okay. take a little shot and it helps balance 
like it helps your body process the what you're breathing. Yeah. And okay. so that could be also a way that people could use to, you know, hurt someone else is they could deprive them of their medication so they can't yeah. actually breathe outside and it'd be a cool sneaky way to like kill somebody. I think it, it would. It, so this is also an interesting thing. This kind of raises a question for me is like, how would people eventually grow to adapt to this environment? Right. Yeah. You know, after 100 years of people being colonized, not 100 years, but after generations and generations of people they could just living breathe here. Normally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it, it would be like how, you know, um, marathon runners often, at, at, you know, at very high level of training, mm -hmm. they train at higher elevations yeah. because there's less oxygen there. So then when they go and they run at a lower elevation, their body is getting more oxygen and it makes them like more effective runners basically because yeah. they're used to running at, a you know, with less resources available to their body to do it. Mm -hmm. um, would these colonists eventually become more you know they would adapt to this environment they would become used to living in a slightly lower oxygen environment or yeah. maybe their body would find ways to use the other elements that are in the air that are not just oxygen totally yeah. you know what would be cool too is after generations of living there the people who now can breathe that atmosphere it's this kind of understanding. It's like, well, you can never go back to the home world again because yeah. you couldn't breathe that air anymore. Oh, yeah. You, now you're, you're like, fully adjusted to this. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It makes me think of we were watching sh for a little bit. We need to get back to it. Um, The Expanse. Yes. And yes, about yes. Um, they call them the belters, right? Yeah. It's the people who live out in the asteroid belts. Yeah. And because they're so their bodies are affected by what the lack of gravity, it's the low gravity that they become taller and kind of stretched, and stretched out. out. Yeah. Like, I love yeah. thinking about how does your atmosphere, your surroundings surroundings kind of change you yeah. that yeah. was the the thing that first drew me to that show was yeah. that they addressed that really interesting really specific thing i thought that was so fascinating just that one little small detail where they're like all these all these you know miners out in the asteroid belt they're all really tall and their bones are kind of weak and i'm like oh that's weird why is that and they're like well it's because of low gravity and i'm like oh my god that, yeah like, i don't know i thought it was that's a really, really cool interesting concept to explore i agree um, i also love that they just yeah. hired a bunch of like tall anorexic actors to just <laughs> yeah, like totally. walk around in the background and look like creepy skeleton people totally totally they, if if there were a thousand doug joneses they could yes exactly <laughs> walk around. doug jones we love that guy um okay so for screech i do like the idea of it being an animal that lives on this planet. Maybe it's kind of like a – maybe there are like jungles on this planet where there's there are like howler monkeys basically. Yeah. Um, and they swing around in the trees, but they would – I don't know. They'd have to be aliens. So they'd maybe be like howler monkeys covered in scales or something like that that would protect them from the acid rain. Mm -hmm. So they have these these like thick like, you know, carapaces basically. Carapaces? But, yeah. Define for those of us who don't – immediately think of what carapace means it's what a bug has around its body like gotcha. an exoskeleton like an exoskeleton okay yeah. cool a nice yeah, shell exactly. yeah you're welcome listeners for uh i'm sure it was you that piper was talking about not yes. herself yes yeah. of course uh yeah so they're essentially like you know howler monkeys but they're kind of like bug-like they have these you know mm. these shells over them these kind of chitinous shells that protect them from the acid rain so one that makes their shells probably a valuable resource because they can resist this acid rain they, yeah. you know you could build uh, you know, you could build like equipment out of this that could survive being out in the, in the desert. Maybe there's, um, you know, some type of, uh, you know, like a beacon or something you have to build or like a, um, you know, like something that, that harvests water from the, the atmosphere or something and it filters out the acid, right? Mm -hmm. Using this material because it can withstand this acid and it's a naturally occurring thing. So it's, you know, renewable, right? But the sound that these monkeys make would be this terrifying, horrible screeching sound. And yeah. maybe for the first like couple months, they were really, really afraid to go in. They thought some great beast must live there, but really it's just, you know, thousands of these tiny monkeys that when they, one of them on their own, 
wouldn't necessarily be super loud, but they mm-hmm. all kind of screech, screech together in, in this chorus. Great choir. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It would Ooh. sound like a Gregorian chant, basically, whenever that you go into the forest. Awesome and yeah. spooky. Yeah. I like that a lot. I like I'm a lot also too. picturing uh when you mentioned the like the the kind of plating, I picture something sort of armadillo like. And yeah. I feel like they can like walk around on their legs, but I like the idea that they often kind of roll up into balls and go rolling like boulders like down yeah, the hills. Okay. And so if Pretty you cool. went into the jungle, you could easily identify these howler trails of where they're they They've been rolling. Oh, cool. Yeah. I, I mean, not that you would need to follow their trails. You could just follow the sound of the screeching. <laughs> you could, but who knows? Yeah. Maybe, you know, because one of the characters we talked about that would be good to have on a mission like this is like sort of a survivor list. Someone yeah, who's uh, used to hunter, going to yeah. yeah unusual and dangerous territories to conquer them. Yeah. And so that person, if he was leading a party through this jungle and he's like, we need to find water, we'll follow the howler trails because yes. they must be going to water sources. Yes. So, yeah, things like that would be cool. Yeah, absolutely. That's That's great. Okay. So we've got the howlers. Mm-hmm. We've got the acid rain. Mm-hmm. What was our third one? Spark. Uh, spark. Maybe. Okay. So I, we are. We talked about how the atmosphere is lower in oxygen, right? Are you talking about things catching on fire? Yeah, that was yeah. what I was going to say. So yeah. because there's lower oxygen, though, it means that things wouldn't catch on fire as easily because there's less oxygen. Right. So maybe there are a lot of things in this universe that like naturally create sparks or create electricity that on an Earth-like planet would burst into flame. I got some thoughts. But on this planet, they don't. What's your thought? I got some thoughts. Okay, so I like the idea of... Um, maybe there's an area, there's a, a biome in this planet where yeah. there are these kind of uh, jets where like oxygen and gases escape mm. from uh underneath okay. the crust yeah okay like they build up there and it's pretty hot and they like escape in these big like oxygen uh gusts yeah, like or vents, whatever yeah and so everything around there because it's very oxygen heavy um you would know after like hundreds of years of being there and stuff there'd be signs all over the place it's like nothing like no no fire no, stuff yeah, no electricity like, no fire exactly you no can't heat. wear things that could yeah. cause even like a little bit of like spark from no uh, metal no like rocks yeah okay. exactly because the f- people who first ventured into this area maybe they were just you know they had some fuzzy pants and the pants rubbed together and you got a little <laughs> static electricity and that person bursts into flames okay and everyone's like, like what's happening here why is this going on and eventually you know the scientists studied it and they're like okay this is a very oxygen heavy environment um and we need to be careful or just avoid this place yeah, all entirely that's, that's really interesting i like that and I, I mean this would be a valuable place to be familiar with because you can get pure oxygen there right which right. is a thing that is useful to have yeah um but it, you know probably the applications for this oxygen would be less so in terms of you know finding breathable air and more mm-hmm. so in terms of you know we use it to power all of our like torches all of our like welding equipment we have like these oxygen torches or something that can burn super super hot cool right i think that'd be really neat um, and it's something that maybe took them a long time to kind of figure out and learn how to harvest and how to how to maintain. Yeah. Nice. So I, also, I, I like these three main factors that we have. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I also like the idea, and maybe this doesn't make any sense for science, but um, maybe if... I don't think any of this makes it, of sense course, for Of course, it doesn't science. make sense yeah, for I'm, science. It's we're, just we're for fun. Trying. We're it's trying. It's for fun. Yeah. So I was just thinking, I was like, why would there be all this oxygen escaping from beneath like the surface? And what if, like, if you could get down there past all, you know, this, like, these hot vents, yeah. um, there would be this huge network of organisms like plant-like organisms that are all down there and they're just creating immense amounts oh, of oxygen cool. yeah, these, and these releasing like underground it caves full of like fungus and, and lichen, algae and yeah lichen and, exactly yeah. it's this huge yeah subterranean forest that's cool. it's venting all of its excess oxygen up through these holes i like that and yeah. it, i mean it kind of makes sense that there would be a lot of like un- you know if we have all of these like acid rain storms coming through all the time 
that there would be things that would have moved underground. Exactly. To, to survive. To survive. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this is cool. Okay. Do we want to start working on our, our team? Like, I think this is a pretty good place to start. Yeah, I, I definitely want to start on the team. So let's just maybe just go down the list right in order here, Piper. Where do we want to start? All right. So our first thing is our leader, our captain. Our leader. Who would yeah. pilot uh, a spaceship out to a unknown planet uh, to lead a bunch of settlers yeah. to creating a new civilization? Well, so let's look at our options here, right? Like in terms of like background, I think things that make sense are, you know, maybe like a military background. Yep. Maybe it's somebody who was an explorer and mm -hmm. they said maybe they are more of like a blue collar worker. They're like, I you know, jumped around from planet to planet on my own. I was kind of, you know, like a treasure hunter sort of. And I thought, hey, I can do this legitimately mm -hmm. and go somewhere that nobody's been before. I'm not just pillaging old, you know, old ruins of other settlements. I'm going to build something for myself now. Yeah. That might be kind of interesting, like a reformed treasure hunter. So, yeah, I, I like I'm leaning towards military myself, Yeah. Um, if only because I can see a kind of backstory being, well, I've spent so much time in like the war game or whatever, like taking yeah. lives and stuff. And I'm done with that now. I want to go someplace new and start fresh and see if I can help these people support you know, their new society. I like that. I, a reformed I like killer. that I think we should establish that this captain is like a good person. Yeah. I think that you have there to have should a good be, captain. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like there should be at least one totally altruistic member of this crew and yeah. it should be the captain. I think so the captain has like a very a strong. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. Lady captain, like mm -hmm. a lady, like Captain America style, you know, like strong moral compass, mm -hmm. like always wants to do the right thing, wants to protect people, wants to help people. Yeah. That kind of thing. She has to be a very skilled uh, pilot. I think. Cool. Yeah. She's, uh, I, I want her to be older. She's like almost a veteran. Yeah. Uh, she's been through many wars and yeah. she's, flown unimaginable miles through yeah. space and all kinds of stuff like that and so when they had this mission come up she volunteered and they're like yeah. really but we need you on the front she's like my days of fighting are over cool i like that yeah i like that i'm i'm picturing like a captain janeway type here i don't cool. think captain janeway had military experience but i well there isn't really kind of a military yeah there yeah in star well, trek they all... Everything sort of is and also sort of exactly yeah, like they yeah. all know how to fight yeah. and shoot guns, but <laughs> like they're like, no, we're we're uh, explorers. Sounds like a recipe for a very ineffective military, if you ask me. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Right, we so got our got, cool lady captain. Yeah, our, la our cool lady captain. Okay. Um, we need science officers. Yeah. So we were talking earlier because we also have later on our list, we have botanists and like xenobiologists and things like yeah. that. And so I think our, our science people would need to be those who they're not there to study like plants or animals. They're there to, I don't know, study the atmosphere. Yeah. That, that's of what the I'm world. thinking is like yeah. engineers and like researchers, like exactly. problem solvers. They're kind of like the backbone of all of the other science inclined. Mm hmm. Uh, individuals on the on the crew, so they would be less specialized. I think maybe they're they're sort of built to kind of look at everything and then give the botanists and the you know and the the builders and all these people the tools to do their job right. effectively. Right? Maybe a lot of these people are more their job is centered more around the actual travel to the settlement yeah. because they need to be able to run the ship to understand the mathematics of calculating their journey yeah. of knowing the space time and all of that stuff to get them safely from point A to point B. Yeah. So maybe once then they get to this planet, it's up for a lot of them to say, okay, what am I going to do now? Like, how am I going to focus, you know, my attention? What part of this new world do I want to study? Cool. Things like that. I So if we're picking one specific scientist here, mm -hmm. uh, my favorite scientist probably, my, my favorite uh, chaotician 
actually, would be uh, Ian Malcolm. Dr. Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park. I sort of like the idea of the lead scientist on the ship being kind of an eccentric, crazy person that is like, everything can be explained by numbers. Like, it all makes sense. If, if it's the, you just look at the numbers, it all works out every time. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, okay, dude, like, don't worry about it. But he's always kind of like, he. I, I think using his like math skills, he can often, he's always sort of giving you probability. Of, yes. You know, oh. if, if you go and do this, he's like, well, that. there's like a 22% chance this is going to fail, you know? And everybody mm-hmm. He's like, dude, you have to stop. Like, yeah. You have to stop doing this all the time. <laughs> you know what? I was actually just thinking along those same lines. And I like the idea of like what – because when you mention Ian Malcolm, he's kind of talked about in, in the books and in the movie as being sort of like a rock star kind yeah, of a thing. Of well, and they so, literally call him a rock star. Right, exactly. Like I like the idea of sort of this – he's a scientist, but this person is very like cocky and confident in themselves. Yeah. And I think they are semi-convinced <laughs> that they can predict pretty much everything yes, of course. through statistics and math. Like, Again, the Ian Malcolm style. They're like, God, do I hate right all the time exactly you know? well like i they would be a pain in the ass to like go to a bar with because yeah. like someone will go and hit on somebody and they'll turn them down and they'll be like yeah i knew that was gonna happen they're like you're yeah. just saying that like you didn't know that was gonna happen he, he would totally be doing the the beautiful mind thing where yeah. he's like statistically we have to find dates for all three of these girls otherwise none of them will want to go out with us exactly us simple nerds right yeah no he's like he's like nah using math and numbers i'm gonna find you the most perfect woman in this bar tonight absolutely so he's not <laughs> He's not only a mathematician, but he's, he's also a, a pickup maker. artist. Yeah, yeah. He's a matchmaker. <laughs> Great. I, I do like sort of the crossover with like numerology, right? Sort yeah. of the magical, yeah. like, you know, using numbers as kind of a tool here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really, really interesting. And I like that they're I, – I feel like this mathematician – always feels like they're on the verge of some insane breakthrough that's going to like explain everything. He's like, none of the other science will even matter anymore because the numbers will explain it all. You yeah. Know? He always thinks that, you know, you don't need to, you don't need to like take these rocks and like look at them and like, you know, take them apart and experiment. You can just use the math to figure it all out, you know, hands off. Yeah. Right? And I think he goes way beyond what's real, you know, necessarily real. Like you obviously have to have people doing field work and having hand on hands on experience totally. with things right but i think he kind of like looks down on people who work in the field a little bit because he's like you know you can do this all theoretically right like in the thing he's exactly. always like running a million calculations in his head right? i think this is someone who thinks they're hot shit because yeah. he's like i'm so cool like i know how to use like math and like make it make ladies yeah. like fall in love with me and yeah, stuff like that but exactly. actually only some people <laughs> think he's math. cool a lot of people are like that guy's a lot i don't want to don't invite I, him don't I invite Rick. Like, <laughs> like whatever his name is he's probably just like really hot and he thinks that like his math skills are like getting a bunch of dates and really it's like no dude you're just hot like everybody a sexy likes nerd. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> cool we got a sexy nerd scientist yeah. sexy nerd yeah i like it um okay so we need weapons officers and soldiers because you're going to a foreign land um and that's one thing we haven't talked about yet about whether or not there is a like a native race of people there yeah um and maybe we shouldn't touch on that just yet maybe that's something yeah. we can toy with at the end of our episode i could see that being something with I mean, if if we did end up deciding that's a thing in the underground caverns, you know, maybe they're here for a hundred years before they discover these underground caverns, and mm-hmm. like, oh, there's a society under there. Right, that would be an interesting thing. Subterranean, but, that would yeah. be cool. But I agree. Let's let's maybe leave yeah. that until after we've de- you know developed our crew. Right. Uh, so what's we've got our our military officers. You said was the next one, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, officers and yeah. soldiers. Um, I think it's easy to just say, you know, oh well, these people are like 
trigger happy, like, you know, yeah. your, your, your war guys or whatever. But maybe I feel like because with our, our captain, I think she yeah. would have been very insistent on like picking, you know, yeah. which soldiers are coming. My crew is handpicked, chosen just like God. chosen by yes. the disciples of Christ or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is that Cortez says in, in El Dorado. Exactly. Yeah. More carefully chosen than the disciples of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> very uh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I like actually that. think she, because I can see her, like, if they were going off on some sort of a mission, she would lead them probably. Yeah, I agree. I, I was thinking the same thing that maybe it is kind of a some of the other non-military members of the crew would view these guys as kind of like, ah, oh, they're sort of like hotheads. Like they are kind of trigger happy, mm-hmm. but they all respect this captain so much. And I think that would be an interesting relationship that the captain stepped away from their military life, but they still have this reputation yeah. as a, you know, like this, this great leader of, of soldiers, this great general. Yeah. And so every one of them, even though they are kind of, you know, maybe they are a little rough around the edges. They respect their captain so much that they're like, we'll do anything the captain says. Like totally. the captain can always keep them in line. Yeah. And I think they're always like saluting the captain and she mm-hmm. would be like, you don't, I'm not, you don't have to salute me anymore. Like you just have to do your job. And they're like, no, we respect you. We're going to salute you. Exactly. You that, you know? It's like with all due respect, ma'am. Yeah. I'm going to keep saluting you every time I see you. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would be a really cool thing that like she's trying to be a civilian now and step away from and she's doing something non-military. And I think maybe maybe she even is like sort of a pacifist at this point. She's kind of like, I've done enough killing. Mm -hmm. I want to help bring something new and good into the world. Right. And all these military guys are like not quite there yet. And so they still worship this like this military legacy that she left behind. I think it would be a really cool character trait if maybe because of that, she is incapable of like pulling a trigger anymore. She can't do it. So like like there'll be like a situation, you know, where she has a gun pointed at somebody and they're like do it pull the trigger this person's like threatening someone's life and she's like i can't i can't yeah. do it anymore push like, the damn button yeah exactly yeah. like she, she locks she's... up she will she won't take any more lives she's like batman yeah she, yeah she won't kill i think that's really cool i think that's I, cool I, too batman lady batman is a captain yay that's really cool. um i also wanted to give you a nice comparison that i think will make you very excited um i think when we think about her and also like these soldiers we should maybe think about the sort of tone and portrayal that we see in the movie Sicario, which we just watched. Yeah. And we were saying, at least I, I was saying to you when we were watching that recently, I was saying, I like how all of these guys, they just seem like they're so like in line. They follow these orders. Everything is so precise and synchronized in the way that they move and work with one another. Yeah. And I really like that because I, as someone who doesn't know much about military stuff, I feel like it's easy to view things as being like, oh man, we don't want to just give guns to everybody but it's like actually no there's a lot of like training and order and like respect that goes into this that's how it's supposed to work and sometimes it does work that way and that's really cool to see i think in any situation where you have a high level of coordination Mm -hmm. and and discipline and you know you you say here's a plan and we execute it perfectly i think there's something really cool about that like it's almost like it's almost like sexy to me. Like, yeah, no, I, don't I agree. Know. It's, it's like, very really sexy. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's why, you know, I'm, I'm not like a huge, you know, I, I, I've never been in the military. Like, I don't really have any, like, opinion one way or another about the, about the military, right? But I love military movies. Like, I love yeah. seeing, like, Zero Dark Thirty at the mm-hmm. end when they go in and they storm the compound. And, like, I think that's really, it's like a dance. Like, right. it's really cool to see that, that synchronization and that synergy is yeah. really, really interesting. Um, also, the I, I love that, whether it's military or not. Yes, I agree. It's also the idea that these people are, like, the absolute best at what they do. Mm-hmm. Like, they're so highly trained that they yeah. are allowed yeah. to, and when they're not, like, in combat, they are super, like, 
relaxed and chill and like broy with each other. They're yeah. like, yeah, man, whatever. And then when the when it gets serious, everyone's like locked and loaded and like ready to go and focus on what's at hand. So let me ask you something here, real quick. Ask me um, something. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is the? Are we assuming that this is a world where there like magic exists, right? I mean, I think we I was going to say no. You're going to say no. Yeah, okay. I'm so, seeing just science. Here. So then, when we look at this in terms of relating it to a fantasy world, mm-hmm. basically anything that is technologically based, we would just replace it with magic, right? If if right. we were trying to look at it from that perspective, right? Yeah. So I was trying to say, like, what is sort of the the fighting style? What is the the technique of this of this military? Is it like kind of a you know mercenary like aliens like space marine you know run and gun shooter type military or is it like uh you know a cabal of monks that use like magical energy to project you know to project their physical power over a range you know like what 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 is the way that this military kind of works yeah i don't know i mean if you're talking about if we're putting this into a fantasy setting yeah i was picturing this would be sort of i don't know a troop of of armored knights that maybe you would bring with you okay cool yeah so it is like sort of space marine style like yeah interesting they all have their their horses and they can form like a a line like a, like a big megazord or whatever exactly and they'll, they'll <laughs> run at you with a line and their spears drawn and their flags flying and cool. stuff like that all right i like it um yeah so maybe on the ship they have with them these uh like these cool bikes these like hover bikes they're kind of like sweet motorcycles but they're sort of like tanks yeah and so that's what they use to go out and patrol and explore the land there's a uh, so in in starcraft i haven't played starcraft in a long time um but one of the one of the terran which is like the human race units they are these guys that are on like you know hover bike like motorcycle type things and cool they, yeah they're, they're really cool they're kind of like scouting units or like like early uh, you know, like armored type units. That'd be uh, awesome. I feel like yeah. when you see these guys, like just in the settlement walking around, like their gear that they wear when they go out, it's like adorned with like cool, like plants and different things that they've found while being out in the oh, wild. Cool. So I they, love that. Yeah. So they have like spooky, fe- like alien feathers and they're like, what is that? What animal is that from? And he's like, I have never seen one alive before. Like I just I find it. the feathers and I put it in my little, I love it. My little helmet. I think it's cool too. To, it would be cool to think about how like the longer they stay here, you know, they come with their sort of standard issue, you know, like space knight military armor, right? It's mm-hmm. all, it's made of, you know, platinum or you know what whatever unobtainium whatever you know like rare (laughs) metal that they have from back on earth right Mm -hmm. but the longer they stay here the more their equipment kind of evolves to be made out of the materials from this planet so like you know on day one it's just their basic like metal armor and Mm -hmm. on you know, uh, after a hundred years in, most of their armor would be made of maybe the scales of those, the howler monkeys. Yeah, right? exactly. Like things like that. I yeah. think that'd be really, really cool. And in between, you see this sort of slow transition of, you know, their armor gets damaged. They have to repair it with the resources that are available here. So it's kind of like half this old world, like military knight-like armor cool. and half this new world, you know, like monkey scales. I uh, like it. I think it'd be very, very cool. I like it. Maybe yeah. they call their little, uh, their outrider troop, they call them monkey scales the mon- the mo- <laughs> yeah, the maybe scales. not no. maybe they're that's called, how they call them the howlers or the screechers or something like that that'd be yeah. cool that's very yeah. cool yeah okay so we've got those guys um yeah. you have to have uh medical officers 
Uh, People who are prepared to, you know, take care of people when you get weird sicknesses or attacked by things or accidents happen. So actually, one of the things that I wrote down uh, when brainstorming about, you know, the things that we would have to encounter on a new world uh, to begin with is, you know, you're going to interact with different diseases and unknown illnesses that you wouldn't have back home on Earth, for example. Like xenopharmacology or whatever. Exactly. I mean, there there are parasites here and there are organisms that you've never, that your body has never interacted yeah. with. And so there would be brand new illnesses and disease. And I actually, ooh, I kind of like the idea. So there's definitely like a huge medical department yeah. uh, that's part of this mission and this settlement. And I think one, uh, I think there are two department heads uh, there. And one of them- Like a hydra. Exactly. Well, one is <laughs> like they're the lead uh, doctor on top of, you know, discovering new diseases. Okay. And I think the other person, maybe they're in charge of, you know, surgery or, or whatever yeah, okay. sort of a thing. I mean, I, one one sort of the researcher and one is the, again kind of the hands-on like exactly. fixer upper yeah exactly a, a, a human mechanic yes um <laughs> i think the person who's in charge of you know like studying new foreign diseases they almost want people to get sick because they need something to study and oh, cool. i think that's something that that person butts heads with with the other lead doctor yeah. is they're like no i'm trying to keep people well like don't encourage people to go out beyond like the the lines don't encourage these things and the person's like we're never going to learn unless somebody experiences yeah. at first i need people to go out there so i can learn how to fix it later i feel like they would be constantly like injecting themselves with weird stuff they find out in the world or Maybe you know that they'd find like a weird claw and they're like what happens when you get stabbed with it i think like, what are you doing i think these two they're either married or they're siblings yeah okay what I do like you it. think works better i kind of like twin siblings i think that they're twin cool. siblings yeah, I think, okay cool. i think having them be twins would be really really neat. and that awesome. i think the the medical you know would be called the hydra or something that would be like the symbol of their medical thing so nice. it's like the two heads of one organization very cool Cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. So there, I think, um, I'm just gonna go forth and say it. Uh, the lady, the, the, his, the sister is definitely the one who's like, oh, no, no, I'm taking care of people. Don't make people get sick. And the guy's the one who's like, no, we need to just study no, we, these. We all have to be diseases. stabbed by everything so we can know what it's like. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's a little chaotic. Um, but I think that I like that dynamic. Uh, it makes me think of our evil campaign that we're playing right now. Yeah. How we're both playing characters that are obsessed with necromancy and sort of weird medicine and weird science Mm -hmm. and we have no there's no line that either of our characters won't cross right Right. dr ricard morvo is totally cool with murdering a couple people if he you know if it means that he can get a new subject to study exactly um i think that's kind of a that's kind of an interesting thing that we could maybe apply to this you know to these twins right that they're not necessarily sadistic and they're not trying to hurt people but they're happy when people are hurt he is anyway he he is happy when people are hurt because it means you know he he might not he's not going to go out of his way himself to hurt someone but if he sees a situation that might result in a you know a workplace accident Mm -hmm. he's probably not going to go out of his way to prevent it oh exactly you know he sees the slippery floor and he's not going to be like hey man don't use the ladder on that floor right no he's (laughs) like he's just going to stand by and watch ready to take care of it afterwards or somebody's trying to reach something on a high shelf and they're standing on like a rolling chair and he wouldn't be the person to come in and be like no it's dangerous you need a spotter i think a really (laughs) fun uh kind of side story that we could easily spin would be he is so obsessed with studying these like alien diseases that it eventually you know he can't find people to like be his test subjects and people aren't getting sick the way he expected them to and so he goes out and he exposes himself yeah and i think it leads to his death eventually you know what his death or i think I mean, there's two interesting outcomes to this, right? Mm-hmm. One would be that he dies and kind of like martyrs himself. And maybe this spawns kind of a philosophy of medicine that it's like mm-hmm. he died, but 
it meant that he helped a bunch of people. And well, exactly, so there, there are people yeah. who kind of follow in his footsteps who are like, we all have to expose ourselves to these things, right? Or I was actually going to say, like, as he's dying, he's like, he's like, study my body, study it yeah, extensively. Yeah, course, we need to know what's killing me so that everyone else can be fine. And she's like, you idiot, why did you do this? Of course. Don't quit on me. I, yeah, she's pounding his chest like in the movies. Like, right? oh, don't die, damn it. And she's like injecting him with all these things to make him better. Yeah. And he's like, stop, stop, let me die. It's like, I've been injected with enough weird shit in my life he's like he's like no let me die and study me do it for science i think the other interesting outcome for this would be instead of him dying continually exposing himself to all of this stuff would cause him to undergo some kind of a mutation like he would become stronger and more powerful and maybe after that happens he you know some some like virus that he injects himself with it starts to like make him act kind of funny mm-hmm. and he ends up estranged from the rest of the colony because he's you know there's this weird you know alien you know virus in his brain that's affecting the way that he acts and he can no longer be trusted and he does start kind of going crazy a little bit i think that'd be a really interesting thing and i think that would be an interesting adventure to go on totally in this you know if we had an adventuring party in this colony the the sister would come and say my brother he's always been really reckless but he's just something he he crossed a line that I've never seen him cross. He's being really weird. Mm-hmm. And you would have to figure out that, oh, there's this alien virus in him. How do we exercise this, you know, this this virus? Or, you know, if it is a fantasy setting, maybe it is like the uh, a demon ghost or something from mm-hmm. a long dead alien or something from this planet. I, I think that would be a really interesting adventure. I agree. I'm seeing so many cool directions this could take. And one of yeah. which I think would that I would personally go with is the idea it's determined that he's incredibly sick and they they put him into like a you know a little bubble or a cell to like yeah. keep him locked away yeah. and I think this this new world needs to be like a democracy like everyone has a vote and they yeah. gather and they talk about it and it's decided that he needs to be exiled um because he's too contagious yeah, and he exactly, can't stay in this exactly. space anymore and he's becoming um, so powerful because he's you know like maybe the virus is like Part of the virus's thing is that I I survive as long as the host survives. Mm-hmm. So it it does things to protect the host. Like it grows like thicker skin or it grows stronger. It grows, you know, hardier, more resistant to other things. Yeah. So like he's becoming super powerful to a point that people think he's a risk to have around. If he's going crazy and he's getting super strong, we don't really want him around here. I think there would definitely be those who are raising voices during this sort of council meeting to yeah. say, we can't just unleash this like superhuman person out into the jungle. Like what if he like comes back and yeah. hurts us or something? <laughs> Maybe we should just kill him. And they're like, no, we're not killing anybody here. You can't have too many space Tarzans running around. You're exactly. All- <laughs> Eventually we don't, something bad's going to happen. We don't want all these like supermans flying through our jungles. He's going to come back with an army of of screecher monkeys and uh, he's going to take over the colony (laughs) so um i actually um we have this list you know of all of these roles of people who would arrive here but there would be other roles that emerge after the fact and one group subculture would be the outcasts the abandoned ones yeah exactly the people who are determined like no you are not allowed to live in our society anymore you have to go fend for yourself out in the wild and if you can live then you can live, but yeah. you're not going to do it here. But they did. Yeah, they just didn't like the rules. They didn't like the way things worked here. They, you know, either they were cast out or they cast themselves out because mm-hmm. they said, I just I can't I can't hack it. I can't be a part of this society. I have to play by my own set of rules. Right. And they yeah, that would be really cool to see these factions sort of arise in, yeah. this, in this town. Yeah. Again, which is something you would see in any, you know, we have co-cultures in any 
civilization. You know, yeah. you have people who like Pepsi and people who like Coca-Cola, right? <laughs> like, and, and ne'er the two shall meet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I'm just thinking logistically, it would be more, uh, than simply them opening the doors and pushing someone out and then closing it behind them. Yeah. yeah I yeah. think they would need to have like this, like our soldiers, these outriders, they would have to escort them like far away and yeah. drop them off like on some distant place. And they're like, yeah. okay, this way you can't just easily come back. Yeah. So that would be a whole thing that would need to happen like maybe once a year they would do like a uh expelling of like unwanted people i don't know is that too <laughs> oh evil you know sounding? what so here's maybe an interesting way that this would work right is it, at first they would say look we don't have enough people here to just be casting everyone out everyone has a job we we only have a set amount of manpower uh and we we can't afford to lose any of that, right? Mm -hmm. We have to be operating at full capacity because the margins are just so thin. Like, you know, losing 1% of productivity means people will die. Yeah. Um, so maybe instead of fully casting them out, they have like a secondary station where they're like, okay, we have this place out here where it's like a recycling plant or You're gonna we, go we work process there. our trash or where we, the miners work or something. So they put all these people who don't really fit in out there. Nice. And eventually they on their own kind of split off and they say, you know what? They've been sticking us all out here for years years and it's because we're a problem that they don't really know how to address we don't want to be a problem anymore we want to be our own thing and they would sort of form this they would band together and form this new sort of group yeah and they would say we don't need to be a part of you we can we can fend for ourselves yeah definitely and it turns into these two sort of factions that are you know coexisting but only you know, barely peacefully. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. And it actually brings to mind again um, a detail which I definitely want to stick with, which is the idea yeah. that they've – on the ship, they've brought with them a lot of prisoners from Earth, a lot of yeah. criminals who yeah. are going to be like the manual laborers. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I like the idea that it's almost sort of a – like a con air kind of a thing <laughs> where it's like – and let, let me elaborate. <laughs> Put the bunny down or what is it he says? He's like, give me that bunny. Well, like – because I like the idea that, they, you know, uh, back on Earth, they would give these prisoners a choice. They're like, well, you can stay here in prison until you die. Also, yeah. our Earth sucks and everyone's coughing yeah. to death. Or you can get on this ship, go to a foreign land, work for five years, and then earn your freedom as yeah. every, like average citizens. If you're willing to put in the work, you could be free. And so yeah. most of the people volunteer for this. And I like what I, what I mean when I say con hair is that there's probably like a handful <laughs> of like, like, honest people who are like yes like I've, i did something bad i'm gonna go and i'm gonna serve my yeah. time and then i'm gonna be a part of the society they, they've repented they're not here's a, here's a ten dollar word for you they're not recidivists there you go which is when you commit a crime and then go to jail and then you leave jail and go and commit crimes again hey yeah. how about that yeah. um but i do think there would be a percentage of people of these prisoners who are like fuck you man i'm not going to this world just to, like push a broom around like yeah. i'm gonna be like i no, i'm gonna rebel and so there are people who get to this place and they're instantly like like, you know, causing trouble and yeah. stuff. I think it would also be interesting to look at the interactions between – so we have this captain that was like former military. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these kind of delinquents would say the military or the police, you know, the, the – you know, the powers that be were the ones that put me behind bars originally. I don't really like this person because of their background in the military, right? Yeah. And so the actual soldiers here who love the captain, they would say, no, 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 that's not cool. We all respect the captain. We all love her. Mm -hmm. You're going to show her the respect that she deserves, right? And so there would be tension there between, between this 
you know, labor force and between the military. Oh, no, I was totally thinking the same thing. And in fact, I feel like, you know, they had seven years to get there, right? Seven years to sort of assess the personalities of these prisoners. And they could come to the captain when they get to the planet and say, here's a list of people that you can trust to work without supervision. But the rest of them, while they're doing their jobs, there's always somebody standing by with a gun kind of watching them, making sure that they're not like causing trouble. Which is not really a great work environment, right? I mean, that's, of course, going to breed you know, dissension and discomfort oh, totally. and distrust and all totally. that. Yeah, like it, I, I like the idea of sort of the writing is on the wall. Like from day one, this wasn't really a perfect system. Oh, yeah. And it's just the beginning of this long, slow downfall. I also like the idea of kind of on the opposite side of the coin, this military organization. And we talked about how they're like, we kind of worship you and we're going to keep saluting you even though you're not military anymore. Mm-hmm. That growing into this sort of like cult of of personality that the, the the soldiers are like we worship the captain and the captain doesn't want that the captain is like no i'm a regular person now like i'm not someone who should be worshipped i'm not a god i'm just a regular person who wants to help people and they're like oh my god that's why we love you so much you yeah. just want to help people you yeah know? like i think that would be an interesting thing that the the people who follow her would kind of grow beyond her you know they out of respect and love for her they're kind of corrupted yeah and become sort of twisted and, and dark i think that would be an interesting direction to go with the military as well that's super interesting um i yeah i like a lot the idea that this you know this group they preach this this theory that they're like oh this is a new world of like equality and and chance to grow but there is you know within the prisoner worker group they're like no there's still a class system here and that's not fair um but it's like yeah this idea it's like well you could argue it both sides you know someone saying you caused like you killed people back on earth you have to earn the right to get back to equality for sure so once you get there easy with seven years of labor instead of a life in prison exactly like once you do that then we will treat you all as brothers and they're like no you won't you're still gonna always look at me as this person yeah like you can say that but it's not true like that prejudice is always going to be there i also think it would be really interesting so you know thinking about this captain who's always you know just wants to help people wants everything to work out maybe you would you know as an adventuring party you could get missions from this captain that would you know she would say sometimes somebody has to die for the greater good but i can't bring myself to do it like Mm -hmm. one of my generals they're worshiping me like a god and i think it's unhealthy and dangerous it's setting a dangerous precedent they need to go away you need to either kill them or you need to take them somewhere else and i think this would kind of break the captain the captain would be like I don't see any other outcome. I don't, I, I hate that I have to do this. I have to make a deal, but I'm not strong enough to do it myself. I have to hire somebody else to come and like, you know, stop this cult from worshiping me or, you know, maybe stop these laborers from, you know, from getting too rowdy. Like, I, I think I have, that would be an interesting yeah. sort of fall for the captain that they would have to sort of sell their soul to maintain the peace when they used to be really idealistic. And, totally. Yeah. I actually have a theory or an idea of how a direction that we could take that. Yeah. Because, you know, she's not about taking lives anymore. No. And she doesn't want that. Even asking someone else to kill this person. Yeah. I think that she should be clever enough to think to herself, you know what? These people are getting too attached. Here's what I'm going to do. I am going to give them like a special mission or a task. And I'm like, I'm assigning you to the opposite side of the planet. You need to go over there and like build a secondary colony. I'm entrusting you to do this. This yeah. is your chosen task. They would become more cult-like. Well, no, that's the thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, she sends them away and they take it as this great honor. They're like, our captain yeah. has chosen me to form the second colony and I will do that until the day I die. Oh, and 
she sends them away, but she is racked with guilt over this lie yeah. of her being like, no, I was just getting rid of him because he was getting too crazy. I don't know what's going to happen over there, but I hope he calms down. But they were a danger to everyone else here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so she sends like them that. off. And like, yeah, I think she's hoping that maybe they'll chill out. But you're right. They should probably just stew and get they're, more and more. Because all they're going to have there every night, they're all going to go to sleep with a picture of the captain, you know, on the ceiling above their beds, all just like praying to the captain saying, one day we'll be welcomed back into the alpha camp or whatever. You well, know? how spooky and cool would it be if there was like a time where they're like okay we have to go over to the other settlement we have to go see these men for whatever reason and they fly over there on one of their little ships and when they land like the entire like city that they've built it's like covered in statues of her yeah crazy. like they've built her like crazy. her icon into every element yeah. of like their their buildings and their system i imagine this would be really uncomfortable and terrifying for oh them, yeah she'd be like right? oh my god yikes like <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> You guys yeah, really like me. And totally. they're like, she arrived. She came back. Like, Captain, everything is secure. We've I done just this. what you've asked. I love this weird, spooky, like, military cult of, of yeah. Oh, that's so cool. cool. And, and especially that the captain doesn't like it. Right. You know, now look a 100 years down the line. They don't remember anything about the captain except for the fact that the captain was infallible. The mm-hmm. captain was the one that made all the decisions and they were always right with every, you know, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. I think that's cool. I can see some of their party, like, getting some, like, of the, you know, diseases or whatever that are on this planet and, like, falling to, like, space madness. Space and madness, they could yeah. convince themselves, if we wanted to go really dramatic, they could convince themselves that the first settlement is keeping the captain from them and they're like, we have to save her and yeah. bring her back here. Yeah. Like, they're keeping her and we need her with us. So, I, I want to also really quick just tying this into like talking about it being a fantasy setting or something again right i think it would be really cool to contextualize this in a fantasy setting as instead of being a new planet obviously it's a new Mm -hmm. continent you know we go and we explore we find an island that you know like lost style they find an island that has the answers to all their questions or something and they they get there their ships like you know they they get there because their ship's are like destroyed. They run aground or something and they can't escape the island, right? And they all have to find ways to coexist. Mm-hmm. And this exact same story could play out just as well on an uninhabited island as it could on an uninhabited planet, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. So I, I just want to like kind of put that out there to sort of reframe that a little bit if we do want to look at this from a fantasy setting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm going to share one more thought and then maybe yeah, we should d- develop like one more character yeah. and call it an end. Yeah, I agree. Um, I want to say that I definitely see this captain. She she tries to serve her people for as long as she can. Then after a while, she's like, no, all of this pressure, it's too much for me. And she decides to go off and like build a little cabin in the woods by herself. That's cool. That's, a I think, a nice end for this captain that yeah. they spent their whole life working they left behind this military career because they wanted to evolve beyond it and they never were really able to escape it mm-hmm. and this is sort of like a romantic way for them to finally leave everything behind you yeah. know the only way for them to actually leave the death and destruction of, of of their military lifestyle their military past behind is to completely sever ties with society they can't there there will always be the memory of what they've done that is if it's not being upheld by her it's being upheld by others right yeah. exactly i like the idea too that if we wanted to like jump forward in time there would be like a new main character like maybe a teen or a young adult who's mm-hmm. like finds themselves with this impossible <laughs> space teen yeah this impossible challenge or something that they have to overcome and someone says to them it's like well you know who could really really help with this would be like captain so-and-so yeah uh, and the person's like yeah but she's dead and like no she's not she's like in a little house in the woods yeah. and they're like what i have to go find her and they go and they find her and she's there and she's pretty old and she's like i'm not gonna help you kid and they're like no but you have to like you're the only one you know what i could even see is and they, like pull her out of I, retirement I, I think her yeah so i, I think her <laughs> 
her motivation to always be helping people, she would be like, I can't just die. Like I have more. I always She's have Logan. more to give. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I think she would go out in the woods and she'd say, I need to just I, – I can't handle this anymore right now. Like I'm tapped out. She would go and put herself into like a cryo sleep or something out oh. of the woods. And maybe like a 100 years later, they're like, we need her We need her help. And there's like a very small sort of secret society of people that know she's still alive out there in the or, woods. And they could go and get her and wake her up and be like, you have to fix this. You have to come back. How cool would it be though? What if this – maybe she went out there, right, a long time ago and everyone assumed that she just died because, you yeah. know, lives a ho- normal human lifespan. Yeah. Someone goes out there, they find this house and she's still alive. And they're like, how are you still alive? Yeah. And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I've, I'm eating the native vegetables here. Like, I, I just, I breathe this oxygen. Yeah. Like, yeah. the atmosphere, I think, is keeping me alive. Yeah, something yeah. about this is she's sustaining become, her. Yeah, yeah I, I think that'd be really cool. I like the idea of her being you know, a supernaturally long life, whether it's because of a cryostasis, whether it's because of some kind of magical confluence, whether it's because of a just a weird environmental thing that's keeping her alive, mm-hmm. that suddenly, she, you know, she kind of loses track of time and she's been out here for a hundred years and she doesn't even realize that all this time has passed. She's been so separated from society. The days are, you know, endless and innumerable. Yeah. She just suddenly is approached by you know, these people that she doesn't recognize and they're like, who are you? And she goes, what do you mean? I'm I'm the captain. I've mm-hmm. only been out here for like a couple of years. And they say, the captain? I what? think, you know, and yeah, like she, no, totally. for, she doesn't realize that totally. it's been hundreds it's of been years. it's been this long. That That's so cool. Yeah. I like that a lot. I think it should be something to do with like something that she's eating. It's kind of like yeah. erasing her short term memory, maybe. Maybe every time she goes to sleep at night, she sleeps for like a year or something. That would you be know? interesting. Like, it, it puts her into like sort of a like a meditative like hibernation or something cool and so every time she wakes up she thinks it's just the next day but really it's like a year later or Dang. five years later or ten years later although if she woke up she would notice that like everything's overgrown and like dust is like formed like yeah, I think she'd that be would like, oh, be that's a- weird i guess I, I didn't realize i hadn't cleaned around here lately <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. She we probably can... has a little robot that does that for her. That'd be cute. Yeah. Um. I think, by the way, let's say her last name is Logan. She can be Captain Logan. Cool. Let's her... yeah, yeah. I agree. We should borrow that. Yeah. Maybe her first name is like Sarah or Trix or Trix. 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 Trix Logan. Trix Logan. Yeah. Yeah. That's her name. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Captain Logan. Captain Trix Logan. Trix Logan. Cool. Very we named neat. one character, so that she seems pretty important. So this. I think yeah. she needs a name. Um, awesome. Okay. So I've got two more things that I want us to touch on. One, we need, we, we said that in our big list, we need to have like a religious leader to come here. Yes, for sure. I think the military has kind of evolved into that a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But so I want to talk about like a religious leader and like religious groups and things, but I also want to talk about, um, this idea of, uh, we said that there should be robots. And the reason why there should be like a group of robots is because when you first get to this hostile, unknowable world, when you are like, okay, we have to, you know, how safe is that area over there? Let's send out our our drones yeah, to go out and check it out for us. Check, exactly. Yeah. So they're sort of because we literally said you're like we need uh, red shirts. Yeah. These are our cannon fodder. <laughs> they're literally like robots that they've brought along to go test how safe everything is for them. Absolutely. So we need to decide: Do these robots? Do they start with artificial intelligence? Do they develop artificial I think they intelligence? Develop it when okay. We get here, yeah. Cool. I think that's a th- you know we watched that episode of Star Trek recently, right? Where the 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 scientists develop these little kind of mechanic robots they're like they can do any task they can go into dangerous places but they start refusing to go into places that will you know cause their own death yeah are they sentient that was a good episode i think that would be a really interesting thing to say 
we have this robotic labor force. Mm-hmm. They don't really have any needs. They're just, you know, they just, you got to oil them up once in a while, right? But after you've used them as a labor force for a hundred years or whatever, mm-hmm. they suddenly develop this artificial intelligence. And now, you know, it, like, how do you, contend with that? How do you deal with that? Yeah. That would actually be interesting that it would, um, you know, I think a lot of people think when they came to this planet, it was, they were leaving behind, uh, conflicts of like race and and things like that but little did they know that the robots they brought with them would evolve to become a new race of people who are saying you know we demand equality and to be seen as you know alive and everyone's like wow we were not expecting this to happen okay (laughs) that's something that i I always love about sci-fi i think sci-fi is such a great genre for exploring ideas like you know like like civil rights and like social justice and ideas like that are are so like sci-fi is the perfect sort of petri dish to really experiment with those types of things because you can separate yourself you can look at these ideas while also separating yourself from sort of the the dangers and the discomfort of talking about them in a real world context yeah. right it allows us to find ways to empathize with people and to understand other people's experiences mm-hmm. without having to stretch our minds and you know you know what i mean like yes, no 100 I, I, like, I love everything you're um, saying right now i think that's i think that's super valuable i think it's one of the best things about the sci-fi genre and yeah. i think that it it just it works so well for that um actually uh, another kind of early rec room here that i want to talk about is uh ursula k Le Guin, who was a sociologist and author she still is she's still alive i'm pretty sure <laughs> um she wrote this incredible book called the left hand of darkness and Sounds it's cool. about it's really cool it's basically about this it, it's on a lot of like um, like anthropology, like college reading lists, right? Um, because it's about a future where there is this galactic sort of conglomerate of, of nations, right? Where all of these different alien civilizations, they've come together and they've said, we have this, you know, this, this organization that we all belong to and we all protect each other and we go to new planets where, you know, we discover a new, a new planet with new alien life. We send emissaries there kind of in disguise to explore and determine if they are worthy of joining our, you know, our like galactic, you know, group, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and finding out if they're not worthy, what we have to do to kind of prepare them to join us and, and, you know, to see if they're advanced enough to have solved the social issues that, you know, are necessary to solve to, to be a part of this group or to solve the you know, technological issues that are necessary to solve. Like, um, and it's basically about this guy who goes there and he has to learn to speak their language. And they have all these really interesting things where, um, they talk about how they, they have like a physical way of communicating as they talk. They have all these hand gestures that they use that awesome. they use the hand gestures to denote like tone and, mm-hmm. you know, like things like, like sarcasm and like anger and sadness. Those aren't, those aren't expressed through your vocal right. uh, communications. They're expressed through the hand gestures that you make as you speak. It makes me um, think it's of really, that. really, interesting. Yeah, that sounds so cool. And I yeah. super want to read that now. It makes me think of that Star Trek episode that you actually reference all the time. Yeah. Where Picard is stranded on the uh, the planet <laughs> with the people who only speak in, in like, metaphor. metaphor yeah. Darmok and Jalad. Shaka when the walls fell. Exactly. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know what that means. And it's like, come on, Picard. You can figure this out. Clearly, this is a reference to something. It's so cool. That So that's actually, uh, when I read that, book mm-hmm. i watched that i i was um i was what do you, what do you call it? auditing a, a college class that um they had assigned that book and that episode of star trek to watch nice and so i read that book and watched that episode of star trek like in conjunction with each other and they fit together in very well intentionally yeah. in that way and it's really really cool i want to take this moment to say 
This is another uh, very fine reason why I prefer Star Trek over Star Wars, because Star Trek well, yeah. is more about exploring <laughs> like philosophical concepts and aspects of humanity through yeah. a non-human lens, where Star Wars is more of just like a fun adventure in space. Yeah, absolutely. Which, and there's I, value yeah. to both of those there's things. There's definitely value certainly. to both. But that I'm yeah. just explaining. This is one of the reasons why, one of the main reasons why I'm a Star Trek fan, not so much a Star Wars fan. Yeah, that's fair. In case anybody was wondering. Uh, yeah. So, I know. I, I, I think I, I agree. Um, I think it's two totally different things. Like there's more academic value yeah. to Star Trek, right? We mm-hmm. can explore real human experiences through, through science fiction stories, right? Yeah. And Star Wars is more like, let's just have fun and not worry about this stuff right exactly. now. Exactly. You know? It's Which more about like, also important. <laughs> yeah. Uh, George Lucas just world building and, and playing yeah. around and having fun. For sure. Um, okay. So, uh, these robots, they develop an artificial intelligence. They yeah. ask for equality and civil rights. I think, on because I I like the idea that our first settlement it is built on these high moral beliefs and so I would see yeah. them saying yes we want to grant that to you maybe okay maybe we can tie in our religious leader here and have that person say I disagree this is not yeah. a organic thing and therefore I don't think it's the yeah same do they as have us. a soul you know like God yeah. gives us a soul our space God gives us a soul do they we haven't given that to these robots right like, right yeah. so that's one thing I think that would make for a very interesting uh like side story and explain exploration um but one thing that I was thinking about from the start when we wrote down the fact that there was a religious leader I think this person who comes on this mission they have a excellent academic understanding of all earth religion yeah and so but not a spiritual understanding of it right and so anybody who's on this trip whether they are christian muslim uh jewish anything um they can go to this person and say i need guidance on this and they'll say yes i can help you i can talk you through this i like that um yeah and so i think that person and their group maybe would be the ones to you know stand up at this council meeting and say i don't think so like i don't think we should like let these robots you know be the same as us. I don't know. I think it would be a very yeah. interesting uh, discussion that would take yeah. place in this community. Which is obviously the wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> if something comes forward and it's like, hi, I have, I'm alive and I have my own choices and free will. Um, yeah. Please see me as equal. And they're like, no. no. It's like, you're a bad guy. I, How dare yeah. you say no? <laughs> I, I think it's really interesting. And like, I think, you know, again, framing this in a fantasy context, mm-hmm. I think this would be a very easy thing to explore through the lens of like a war forged or, you know, a golf. I was just going to say a golem. Yeah, yeah, something like, that is forged by somebody else exactly. and they get like a, a, a soul or we a We give them a magical sense of intelligence, but exactly. something, you know, something about that magic like imprints upon the form that we give them. And after our magic fades, they continue to act autonomously on their own, right? Like, yeah. I think these are really, really interesting and, and powerful ideas that we can explore in any genre, yeah, in any definitely. setting like that. I think yeah. that's, that's really, really neat. Um, um, you know, imagine, imagine playing as a, oh, we got like a uh, car races going on outside our apartment. I don't know if you heard that, but it sounded like uh, an engine just backfired about five feet in front oh of our door. Oh my goodness, that was a lot. Um, I think this would be a really interesting thing. You know, imagine playing a D&D game where you play as a wizard who, you know, you, you're like really frail. You're a wizard, right? You have like a D, and five, you have like a D6 of hit points or whatever, right? Um, if you get punched in the face, you're likely to die, right? <laughs> Um, so you make all of these, like, my face is made of glass. (laughs) Yeah. You make all of these, these constructs to do all of your kind of like physical, like heavy lifting, dirty work fighting for you. Mm -hmm. And 
as you are creating all of them thinking, oh, you know, they're just things that I made. I can, I can make them and throw them away. One of them kind of says, what do you mean? You can't throw me away. I'm alive. Mm -hmm. And how do you contend with that as a player, right? How do you say, no, I'll continue to keep doing this because you're, you know, you're not real. You just, I, I magically made you feel that way. And is that as valuable as having been born, you know, with a personality or with, with motivation of your own, right? Like, Again, we always say this when we talk about these really heavy topics. It's not necessarily right for every table. Right. But I think this is a really interesting and fun – fun isn't really the right word – important thing to explore. Yes. You know? I see these kind of things being less so something that would be reasonable to take on in a role play setting and more so just like if you're a creative writer and yeah. you want to explore this in like something that you are writing, yeah. I think that's more kind of the venue for this sort of a thing. Um, going back to our world, I feel like if – Captain Logan is still in charge at the point of this, uh, you know, awakening and this request for uh, equality. I think she, like, in the overall, like, ruling of everything, because I feel like she would act as sort of the judge. Yeah, um, yeah. She would declare... Okay. She, she would come back like the second coming, you know? Like, she would be this, like, messianic figure that everybody would be like, oh my gosh, we have all these problems? She's the one who can solve them. Her word is what gives us, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, regardless of whether she comes back and judges this or if she yeah. did it before she left, yeah. I feel like she would say, yes, like, these people are there. If they are sentient and alive, then then we're going to treat them as equals. And that will be the ruling that they are now, you know, normal citizens, just like everybody else. But yeah. I think even though that is the ruling that is made, there will definitely still be personal prejudices that exist in this community yeah. about it. Because and, and that could be another again, another fun adventure. You know, exactly. You, you get tasked with tracking down the anti-robot KKK. Right? Like that, <laughs> that would be a really how satisfying would that be as an adventure? I mean, that's, yeah, that's taking part. it to the extreme. <laughs> I think it's just interesting in general to explore the ideas of, you know, this place is like portrayed as a paradise. Like this yeah. is our place of yeah. equality and everything. But yet we've already talked about there is somewhat of a class imbalance. We have this workforce of, you know, prison laborers who are, they are possibly angry at this society yeah. for not giving them equality right away. We have this group of people who they tell themselves, they're like, I accept every Buddy, but robots that's pushing it a little too far yeah. don't you think like i don't know and so like, there's no i don't think so <laughs> right and so like i it's this it's just like every other actual real life society yeah. things aren't perfect people have prejudices and fears and uncertainty and that affects the way that they interact with the people yeah. around them and i think it's important to consider that when doing role plays and just exploring like and yeah. world building i also okay so this makes me think of we haven't named this planet and i love the idea of uh, having this like kind of idealistic approach to you know, when this planet was first discovered, they were like, this will be a new beginning for our civilization. Mm -hmm. Right. And now looking at this hundreds of years later, seeing all of this strife that arises from it, how kind of tragically beautiful would it be if this planet was called like, you know, Eden 446 or something like that. <laughs> you know, that they said, we found this planet. It looks hospitable. It looks like a beautiful place to start a new beginning. Yeah. It's going to be a place where we leave all of these problems behind us, right? Mm -hmm. But they didn't anticipate these specific new problems that arose here, right? right. So yeah. it's, it's the same it's history repeating itself, you know? Yeah. It's these very similar problems in just a new context. Mm -hmm. And how... How interesting is that, that society thought we've moved beyond this, you know, mm -hmm. we've, we 
can start anew in this utopia, in this Eden. No, totally. It's, I like that a lot. Yeah, it's the 446th candidate for a new Eden. They were all called Eden whatever. No, I like Eden that a whole lot. Yeah. yeah. I feel like um, uh, Captain Logan or whoever takes her place as, you know, community leader, yeah. they have a device, like their house is like made from the main like cockpit or the um, yeah. the command center of the old of ship. the former ship. And yeah. so they have the technology and the equipment to communicate with the other set settlements and homeworld and so every now and then they're able to go in and cast a signal and kind of connect and see okay how is new eden 5.27 doing compared to us and it's like well eden 7.96 burned down that society didn't work (laughs) it was a failure um right now you are ranked number five in new edens and we need new reports coming in so we can send the rest of our population out here we've got a real ben linus on our hands here communicating with the outside world not telling anybody else totally okay you guys we're definitely going to do like an island episode coming up and we're going to talk so much about lost i'm so excited also makes me think a lot of uh, a really interesting thing i think in the fallout universe is how um vault tech right they they were the you know the this big corporation that said when the bombs fall we're the people that can protect you we're going to make all these vaults and you're all going to go in these vaults and be protected and you know live on after the apocalypse right Mm -hmm. but the thing that's so interesting is every single vault was also sort of a self-contained experiment oh totally that's so cool (laughs) there's i remember seeing around the time when fallout 3 came out there was a list of i don't remember if this was like canon or if this was a it was like a you know like a penny arcade comic or something like that where uh they listed a bunch of vaults with like hypothetical experiments they could do like you know that in the game there are vaults where it was a hundred women and one man oh, or a hundred men and one woman or whatever. you know what i mean like yeah. like weird things that like that woman. where it's like how how <laughs> How terrible would this be, right? right? This kind of thing is like pushing the boundaries. One man and 50 hamsters. Well, there, so it's funny. <laughs> there is one where it's like one man and two tigers, I think. is <laughs> the vault. Like all of these things where every planet. And that's not... the vault Tiger King. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Carol Baskin and the two tigers. Yeah. Um, not every planet would have necessarily been fully equipped to survive on there. You know, maybe, maybe we're saying this is kind of like a spooky, like not totally benevolent uh, experiment uh, yeah like uh yeah. like corporation essentially yeah. that sponsored all of mm-hmm. these eden missions right and some they of should them, be called yeah. humanity incorporated humanity incorporated i like that yeah Ooh, okay yeah humanity incorporated sent all of these these colonization missions out and some of them had all the things they needed and some of them intentionally maybe they sent them out with faulty equipment mm-hmm. to be like what happens how do people adapt what conflicts arise from yeah. you know them missing these key resources mm-hmm. how do they how do they fix this problem and they're monitoring from you know behind the scenes maybe in a way that the people who are the colonists don't really fully appreciate yeah i feel like if there are sabotaged uh missions that they're sending out i'm sure that they fill those ships with people that they want to get rid of yeah like someone who is maybe on to them or wise to their operation exactly. they're like you're gonna go on mission 55219 yeah. um yeah we'll see you never by sure. <laughs> yeah no, totally, exactly sure. that would be another really interesting story is you know being the person who decides who gets to go on which mission mm-hmm. you know if you know okay 
I don't want to get sent on the mission where it's all criminals. You know, I want to get sent on the mission where there's only some criminals. Yeah. You know, like how do you bribe that person? How do you secure your place on the the quote unquote good ship? Yeah. You know? Because I definitely think this implies to me if it wasn't already obvious, um, Earth or Homeworld is definitely dying, and that's yeah, why they're sending probably. out all these settlement ships. To or if kind it's of... not dying now, they're like anticipating that it might someday. Yeah. Exactly. Their amazing mathematician, just like our mathematician, has said, "Oh, yeah. we've got like a mm, hundred years." before the world explodes like so we need that's yeah. why they're sending us out here so we can go and find new edens for to sure. go and, and like populate sure. um but eden 446 is the one that's gonna work yeah i mean stand the test of time everyone maybe. was you know when when we were doing the the bet the big company bet of which uh new eden was gonna work out uh <laughs> i had my money on the full clown world where it was nothing yeah. but mimes and performance artists uh and how would they make it in a new society all by themselves yeah yeah, absolutely. Man, that that would be a fun look. We we this episode obviously should be our focus here. But like, how fun would it be to expand upon this idea and just come up with different worlds? Where yeah, what is the all clown world like? What yeah. is the all, all the all ham the fifty hamsters in one man world? Like? You know what I mean? Oh, that makes actually makes me think of something that I wanted to mention earlier. But I feel like in our kind of general uh you know civilian population, there are definitely people there because I feel like when you're you know, logically thinking about how do we build a society, you want to include, apart from, you know, your engineers, your farmers, all those things, you want artists, musicians, and scientists, yeah. or, or, you know, uh, how poets. How culture do you bring? Along? Exactly. So I think there's definitely a fair amount of people within the civilian class who are like, you know, someone maybe, that could also be a reason of strife. You know, someone who's a laborer is like, you are worthless here. Why, you're wasting jet fuel. Why are you on our yeah, ship? And they're certainly. like, I'm here to like write poetry and, and create art of this new world. That's important. And there would be those kind of conflicts as well. Yeah, no, I I think that's great. I I think the looking at like what is practically valuable and the you know the utility of these colonists, mm-hmm. right? Like that's a thing that would be considered in yeah. a situation like this. You Absolutely. wouldn't always you, you wouldn't really have room for anything superfluous, at least not at the early stages of this. Certainly, you know what's really funny? I'm just suddenly thinking about uh, the movie Atlantis and the team they put together to get down there. Because uh, we have you know <laughs> Mole who is an expert digger. We have an explos- uh, explosion uh, specialist. We yeah. have a mechanic and uh, these. And then Milo, who's kind of just there. Well, Milo, no, he's <laughs> their uh, their philosopher. He well, he's he the one who needs to interpret the shepherd's yeah, yeah, yeah. journal. The, the translator. Yeah. Exactly. Without him, they couldn't get there in the first place. Um, but th- it's things like that that are fun to kind of draw from. And I, I really yeah. love the idea. And I think that, um, uh, interstellar touches on this a little bit but like the idea of like going into space and like grabbing you know a farmer from the midwest and being like we need you on yeah. this other planet well, so that you can help us in fairness he was only a farmer because you couldn't get a job as an astronaut anymore. Well, no, I, I wasn't <laughs> saying that like Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey's uh, character was primarily a farmer, but yeah, I like the yeah. idea of someone being like, we're putting together like uh, a mission to go out to a foreign planet. Yeah. I need you, Joe Scrugg, Mr. Farmer of the Midwest. <laughs> we need you to, to lead this fleet yeah. of farmers as we build this new land. Well, or is it in, uh, it's in, it's in 2001 A Space Odyssey, I think, where they see this like beautiful space vista and they're like, it's so beautiful. They should have sent a poet. Is yeah. that 2001 A Space Odyssey? I haven't seen 2001 A Space yeah, Odyssey, I, which I really need I to see very, yeah. very badly. And Sorry. as soon as I watch it, I will tell everyone I didn't how mean I think to out it. you like that on the, on the air here, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, okay. I like all of this. Mm-hmm. Are there any other roles real quick that we haven't touched on that we should maybe just take a hot second to 
to jump into here? Or do we think that we have a pretty solid foundation? I mean, we have a lot of We've explored a lot of things. I like how the captain, the military, and sort of like the science crew have very defined roles and interesting stories here. And I like that we've continued to revisit them and see how they interact with each other and how there's kind of strife there. Yeah. Um, I don't think those necessarily need to be explored any further unless nope. there's something you really were dying to talk about that we haven't looked at yet. No, I would say I think we've covered a lot of the stuff that needs to be covered. The cool. only other thing is we talked about like a xenobiologist, but that yeah. would just be something I think that's happening constantly on the side. Yeah, there, someone is studying the animals and the plants. Of course, they have a space, here. space Steve Irwin to look at the the screecher monkeys or whatever. They should yeah. definitely build up like a a zoo. I think that'd be oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and actually, maybe that's even something that someone is like an entrepreneur, sort of, or an opportunist, and oh, they're I like, like I once the shuttle comes, you know, because in the next seven years you have the opportunity to decide do you want to go back home or like leave yeah, the planet or, yeah. or do you want to yeah, stay yeah. here and I think this one uh, xenobiologist is like no I'm going to leave but I'm taking all of my animals with me and I'm going to have this incredible zoo and I'll charge so much money I think that's also an interesting thing that every seven years not only do people get the opportunity to leave but new people new show people up come. Yeah. Yeah. so you get this like kind of fresh crop of you know new scientists new soldiers new you know engineers new laborers whatever they all kind of show up and they have to be shown the ropes and some of them might have fresh new ideas they'd say how has no one started a zoo yet yes. how has nobody tried to capitalize on this right right how, how is it that the only television program you have on this entire planet is space steve Irwin jumping around and getting attacked by howler monkeys you know? it's like wait no that's a fabulous show <laughs> it is a fabulous it. show it would be i would totally watch that. how amazing would it be if you know a ship comes with like the new crop of people coming in and it's like seven years and one of the people who arrives it's literally just like a studio agent and they're like, you, sir, are going to make incredible television. I have with me a device. We can broadcast all of your shenanigans in the jungle back to the home world. We're going to have the highest ratings in movie TV history. That device is just an iPhone, basically. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, wait, you want to film me in the jungle? And he's like, yes, people will pay so much money to watch you. I would absolutely watch a reality show. Okay, I hope... When we start colonizing Mars and the moon and all that, I sincerely hope that we have a reality television program based around the colonists on the Oh, of course that's going to be a thing. One million percent. It'll be like, you've heard of Jersey Shore, but what about Jersey Shore on Mars? That would be a horrible... Uh, lo- you know, like missed opportunity if that right? wasn't a thing. That well, happened, so. at least if America gets Jersey there, we're definitely Shore. doing that. Yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely. Because <laughs> I love that television and blue jeans. All right, so <laughs> I think then we we both agree that we've laid a very interesting foundation for oh, this yes. place. So yes. whether whether we're talking about this in the context of you know a colony on Mars or on some you know exoplanet somewhere, or if it's a you know just a random island somewhere in your fantasy setting, or mm-hmm. if it's in earth-like setting and you discover atlantis but it's all abandoned or something how do you get by in this new place exactly i think we have a lot of really cool sort of seeds and Mm -hmm. and some interesting stories that are developing here so we would love to hear from you listeners if you have any ways that you think you could expand upon this if you want to use any of these in your DD stories if you want to you know write a fan fiction about any of this who do you think captain uh uh tricks logan would fall in love with or who would be her greatest ally or her greatest yes. enemy or something like that. I would like love that. to see fan yeah. art of uh, Captain Trix Logan. Yeah. Um, please draw that. I think that'd be very cool. So if you want to share <laughs> any of that stuff with us, we would love it. You can reach out to us at a couple of places here, Piper. Where yes. would be the, the best places for our listeners to go to um, to give us their feedback? Well, the easiest place 
place and the most public place would be on Twitter. Uh, you can add us. Uh, we are at World Forge Pod on Twitter. You yes, can also are. send us a very lengthy email with lots of attachments. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to do so, you will send it to worldforgepod at gmail.com. For sure. Absolutely. We honestly, it makes us so happy when we get feedback on this show. I know we bang on about this every single week, but like we, we just can't express enough how much it means to us that one, y'all are listening to this nonsense that we're spouting every week, but two, that you actually enjoy it and that you have feedback and that you want to, you know, build upon it and use this in your worlds. And that, you know, if we inspire you to do something, let us know because it just makes our lives and we all need a little bit of sunshine exactly. in these gloomy times right now. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very, very much appreciated when you do that. Um, the other great way that you can support us is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on your podcasting app of choice. Yes, please. Uh, we just love, love, love seeing that. And it is the best way to for free get our podcast in front of new listeners, uh, short of, you know, strapping someone to a chair and forcing them to listen, uh, which we don't <laughs> recommend doing. Actually. I think we do, right? Yeah, no. That's a, yeah, I, that's a, that's a fair way to do you it. You know, if you're still quarantining and you've got nothing else to do, you might as well yeah. strap somebody down and force them to As long to as listen. you stand six feet away from them while you force them to listen to our podcast. Exactly. <laughs> and we're fine with that. <laughs> so, yeah, we really, really appreciate that. And I think that brings us on to the next stage of the podcast, which is the rec room. The rec room. Yeah. Sam, you have a very juicy rec room, oh, one which I helped you remember yes, that the, exists. The juiciest of rec rooms. Um, so we this actually would have been probably a source of inspiration for us this week. Um, if I hadn't wanted to save this tantalizing little secret for the record for the mm-hmm. end of the episode, but there's a game that came out in 2011. Uh, it was made by a studio called Final Form Games, and it's called Jamestown. It's a it's a bullet hell game where you know you play as this little it's a little ship. It's top down. And you you know like bullet hell style. You have it's to like Gattaca. Yeah, you call uh, it? G- Galaga sort Galaga. of. Galaga. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, except with a billion things on screen all at once, right? The reason that it ties in so effectively to this particular episode of the podcast is that the story of this game, this, you know, kind of shooter bullet hell game, is that Mars is a English colony and it's uh, – the, the colony that you – the story takes place in is New Roanoke and it's basically a retelling <laughs> of the story of Roanoke where, you know – uh, after after being away for like five years, this explorer came back and all the colonists had disappeared and nobody really knows what happened in spooky, Roanoke. Spooky, yeah. scary. It's very spooky. It's very interesting, right? And through the you, – you play as uh, Sir Walter Raleigh uh, on Mars and the story of this game is essentially that you, you find that Spanish colonists are in cahoots with evil Martians and they have – kidnapped virginia dare the daughter of the mayor of new roanoke and you know you go on this like crazy adventure and it's just a really really fun goofy retelling of an actual historical event that is steeped in mystery and intrigue and it's a lot of fun it's a great party game um you can play four player local co-op with four Mm -hmm. people on the screen at once all those little ships avoiding all of these you know crazy alien blasts and everything it's just it's really really cool the pixel art is actually very beautiful it is incredibly beautiful pixel it's very cool. Um, I would actually also say that if you're ever looking for inspiration and you're struggling, just take something from our history and be like, but what about just in it. space? Yeah. yeah, just take it and put it someplace else. Put it on Mars. Put it on a moon of Saturn. Put it on, on the bottom of the ocean, whatever. Like, exactly. I, yeah, I think yeah. that's a great a great exercise. Be like, what if the Civil creativity. War, but it's actually a war between the living and the dead? Yeah, totally. How oh my freaking God. cool would that be? I'm writing that down for another episode. episode here, yeah. Hell yes. <laughs> so, Zombie. Jamestown. 
Civil War. (laughs) Zombie Civil War. Jamestown. I highly recommend it. I want to say it's like $10 or $15 on Steam or something like that. It was just released, I think, last year, like in in December or something on the Switch. Uh, And it's it's just so much fun. It's a really, really fun local multiplayer game. Um, If you want to have something where you can just scream at your friends uh, and – you know, at the end, you're all still besties. It's it's <laughs> exactly that kind of game. It's really, really good. Very simple mechanics, beautiful art. It's really short. You can beat it in like two hours or something like that. I was going to so, say, has there ever it. been like a um, a speed run of Jamestown? Because that I would mean, be intense. So the thing about it is that it's, it's really like on it rails. Yeah, like okay. you, you can o- – the only areas where you can really – Every level has a set length of time because you move through on a rail, right? So like unless you find glitches to transport you through the levels, which as far as I know don't exist, or find ways to beat the bosses faster, like just the most efficiently, it's not really something that's super viable for speedruns. But, you know, anything is possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, But whether you're speedrunning it or playing it casually, it's just – it's a really, really good game. So I recommend checking out uh, Jamestown. It's – again, that's Final Form Games made it. It's available on Steam. It's on PS4. It's on uh, Switch, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of fun. So <laughs> go and look it up, please. Definitely look it up. By the way, Sam, I just had one other thought that I want to yeah. share real quick about this that I think is really cool to incorporate in this specifically sci-fi setting. Because mm-hmm. we were just talking about earlier the, you know, every seven years, a ship is going to come with new people, and you can leave if you want to. Yeah. I like the idea that... You can leave if you want to. You can leave, <laughs> leave your this world behind. behind. <laughs> And if you don't leave, they are no friend of mine. Um, But no, so I love the idea that every time the ship arrives, it comes with extremely advanced new technology. Oh, yeah, yeah, I suppose. Because, right, because back on the homeworld, they're probably like, they have all the normal resources they would. Everything's super stable. They have the ability, the resources. Exactly. So when they come, you're here with, you know, your little flip phone and they're like, oh, we got the Galaxy S10 now. (laughs) You know, they come with like all this brand new advanced technology and you're like, holy shit. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people are really excited about every time the ship comes. And they're like, ooh, what new tech is going to be here? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I I think that would be really cool. And like every time it's like a total game changer for the Totally, yeah. totally. Very, very cool. Oh my gosh. Okay. I've loved this episode. I've had so much fun talking about this. I feel like Piper. we should definitely revisit yeah. New Eden. Okay. That's, yeah. you know what? Put that on the bingo board. If literally every episode we do, we say we're going to revisit it. We're going to revisit it. I think we should revisit <laughs> Eden 446 here at some point and see, you know, where they're at further down the line. Maybe we, so, you know, we're, we're still gearing up to do a Starfinder campaign. Maybe we add Eden 446 into our Starfinder. Uh, world. I think that'd be a lot of fun. That'd be so pretty cool. If you listeners end up doing that, again, please let us know about it. And uh, we will try and follow up on this uh, topic here in a, in a future episode. But I think that this is time for us to say goodbye. Exactly. Yeah, and so happy, Labor yeah, at, yeah, <laughs> happy Labor Day. Yeah. Happy Labor Day. Thank you again, listeners, for tuning in. And we will be back next week with another very <laughs> exciting and fun topic for you. We love you all. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye.